Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. I'm full of beans. And I have Adam Vitale. Hello. Uh, Chow has a another another um, conflicting thing, so he will not be here today. Uh, James, we're not sure where he's at. He might show up later. So until then, if it happens, it'll just be uh, me, Adam, and Josh carrying the uh, carrying the burden today. The Holy is... Trinity. Maybe, yeah. maybe James is just up all night playing Xenoblade. Probably. I mean, I mean, uh, who who has it been? Yeah. So Adam kind of preempting what is going to be a major topic of uh, this podcast. But basically, in general, this week is a lot of games this week. Uh, it's obviously the last podcast we're going to be recording in April. We have a lot of games this week. We have a lot of games coming up. Zelda is like two weeks away, etc. So uh, the next couple podcasts might be very, very slanted towards the games impressions games you know feedback and a little bit less on news and then i imagine that that seesaw will flip the other way as we get into june and of course we have whatever substitutes for our summer event blowout things as we go into the second half of the year um and then as adam has kind of preempted of course we talked last week about the somewhat surprising announcement of the release of the xenoblade 3's final expansion pass content future redeemed it released just halfway through this week, and I know that all three of us have basically been playing it. And right before we started recording, we kind of just, you know, touched base to make sure like where we're all at. And it sounds like uh, where we're at is that we're all at a point where we need, none of us have finished the DLC. We're all at roughly the same point story-wise. But of course, we have a lot of thoughts and opinions and feelings about this. Having all, all of us have played all three of those games. Uh, for those listening... How we're likely going to do this earliest discussion about Xenoblade 3 Future Redeemed is we'll probably split this into two, not probably, we will split this in kind of two sections. Uh, we will have an kind of an intro section where we'll be as spoiler light as possible. Of course, we will be talking about the characters, the premise. So if you want to know nothing, you will likely want to skip all Xenoblade discussion. We'll talk about early chapter stuff initially, and then I'll try to call out when we're going to uh, where the story has gone about 15 hours into the DLC, where it gets a lot more involved in terms of connection to the other games, uh, yeah, events that happen. Where it's eventually it reaches a point where it's practically impossible to talk about without talking about not just the spoilers in this DLC, but Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2. So, yeah. So we so starting here, we're going to go into a discussion on Xenoblade 3 Future Redeemed. Uh, and we will start out with just talking about the premise. And if you'd like, you can skip to the next timestamp. But otherwise, we're going to go get started right now. So basically, I want to start out by just saying that, Adam, you more or less kind of called this way back when uh, we were discussing what the possible ex expansion content would be for this game in terms of what story uh, window is there. For the I mean, this was the most obvious thing, right? Like, well, actually, uh, like... so I was basically saying... So what I said, sorry to cut you off, yeah, was like we are in, in Xenoblade Three, or we're introduced to the city, and then there's like in the city there's like seven statues or six statues of the heroes of the city, and basically my thought at the time was all these statues have like unique designs, like I bet we get to learn who these people are at some point. Now I did not realize at one point that one of those statues is Shulk and one of them is Rex. <laughs> Because uh, they don't look like Shulk and Rex, as we knew at the time. I remember I was actually chatting with Scott, 
And I was I was basically this is a truncated version of it. I said um, the DLC is going to be about these new characters that introduce the city. And Scott's like, no, 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 it's it's going to be connecting all three games with Shulk and Rex. And it turns <laughs> out we're both correct. Uh, and once they announced it with like the they had like the key art with the three different swords, you could see there was going to be some crossover here. But but yeah, uh, we've all been playing it. None of us have beaten it. I think we're all roughly like 12 to 15 hours in. Um, and I want to say that this is longer than I expected. Uh, I didn't I, going into this. I didn't know if I should expect something more like Torna and Torna, if I remember correctly, by itself was a $40 cart and had like a lot, had its own like self-contained, you know, like marketing cycle and lead up to it. Um, and, and of course, had its own pretty... individual release, right? Like right. Yeah, that's release. what I mean. Yeah. And that, that, of course, was, a, uh, it was almost like an expansion, really. Um, but I was wondering, because of this expansion not being a standalone release and coming out so soon, I was wondering, maybe this is more like the Definitive Edition's Future Connected, which is more just like a five, six, seven. I don't quite remember how long that was, but it was a much shorter, just like epilogue. And I was wondering, well, how long is this one going to be? I'm not, uh, I don't know. And, you know, now we now we know some of us are like 15 hours in and still going. So it's a pretty meaty size DLC here. Um for the expansion pass being thirty dollars, I think you're you're getting a pretty good deal out of it in terms of your money's worth. Um, anyways, I guess first impressions. It plays, uh, pretty much like Xenoblade Three. Uh, it just has a couple of different tweaks to it in terms of uh some of the the basic mechanics are all the same, but for example, there is no class changing because your characters are just have set classes. Uh, there is no Ouroboros form because that hasn't exist yet in like the game world. Lore. Um, it's, it's it's sort of like a like a prototype form of that. And then there's a few other uh, small things in terms of character building with like uh, rather than learning skills through classes, of course, they had to do something else. So you gain points, affinity points is what they're called, through a bunch of different actions. It's almost like a big checklist of things. So. Uh, yeah, if you're, like, if you're a completionist, this might not drive you insane, but there are definitely attainable ch- checklists that will like make your brain like go okay. Or maybe it's maybe you'll find it satisfying. You're maybe. You're I, 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 I actually do I, like. I, I, I mean, I'm fine with it to be honest. It's just it's just funny the way that they went about this. It's kind of funny because like in other series, if they have like checklists and bars to fill or things like that, I like roll my eyes. I'm like, man, this is just uh, I don't like it. But here, it's like really scratching like whatever like behavioral psychology itch where so how it works to to dial it down is that it's a lot of mechanics that have existed in other xenoblade games but distilled in a fashion that it hasn't existed before so like every single area has a collectopedia and as you like gather items these again these floating orbs that show up you can put them in the collectopedia to get rewards that's not new but every single like subset of like you gathered all the mushrooms you gathered all the ore you gathered all the whatever it gives you these affinity points which that you can then spend to power up your character's arts or their or their inherent skills and they're same things for like killing certain numbers of enemies or you discovered all six of six locations or eventually you can start like rebuilding ladders and lifts and like oh you've rebuilt all the things you found all the secret areas so like every single area has like go ahead kind of attached to that is also it's sort of weird where like to unlock more accessory slots or art slots you literally have to like 
find the item. Yeah, this is the weird one. Pa, pa, like mechanic for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think this is the other ones. You're correct. They're like other. They're like borrowed from other Xenoblade King games. But this one is like you can literally on the field just if you like search into a special nook or cranny, like in the corner, kind of hidden. Like, oh, here's a key item. It is. Uh, an affinity unlock slot where you uh, there, there's even uh, the next uh, set of uh, affinity bonuses for your characters. This also like applies. This also applies for like resetting like your spec, your affinity. Uh, like oh, there's, there's, there's a key. There's, yeah, there's one key item that's like a respec coin uh, that you can find, and you can uh, infinitely use it once yeah. you get it. It's not like consumable and that, that's it. But like it's just like a thing that like you just kind of like randomly pick up that's like it's not like you'll entirely miss it because it's sort of on the main route but i could see someone like just like totally just like neglecting it and and the the, the funny thing about these like like things on the field right is like they all have like alarm clocks on them like there's like like sound alerts so like on the field when you're like searching around on your mini map sometimes it like glow and like Mm -hmm. and then like it'll like have like a, a directional like light so you, you walk towards this light on your mini-map, and then when you're, like, near the thing that you can obtain, or maybe it's, like, a city survivor or whatever, um, but a, a, an object or thing of significance that you can interact with, um, like, it'll, like, once you're around that general area where you can pick it up or, like, find, it'll, like, start, like, ringing somewhere, and like, at some direction. Like, the closer you you're, you walk to yeah. it, the louder this ringing is. So it just, it just feels that, like, like every, like, relic chest or, like, consumable or like or like thing it's like everything has like alarm clocks attached to it when you're near it which is really funny you can turn that off yeah but um, it's still but I, I never do because i'm like i need to know where this is yep um yeah it's just kind of a new kind of mechanic they kind of threw in that's not like a game changer it's just kind of like well that's that's different uh, but know, like, like, like the, the reason the games had something like that but, so the respec item is like you guys are saying the respec item they kind of made sure to make very very close to the main path though i'm pretty sure you could still potentially miss it it's yeah, not there's the, yeah, you can, yeah, you can, yeah you can theoretically miss it if you're not, if you're not really paying attention to like it like get, getting those things then yeah you, i can see someone totally missing that item but then like all the other things are um the containers which were in the uh, base game which are just like you get materials and items now it actually says like you found x out of this region's y containers and it's like actually on a checklist before which didn't exist and even like once you access like the community feature which is kind of like the uh i think that i think previous games called it like the affinity map or called it a affinity few things. chart um so basically it's it's the it's this it's another version of the here's all the npcs you've met here's how they relate to each other or the who they belong to only now you can like go over every single person and they have like individualized checklists where it's like for this person if you do this side quest and do these small little tasks you will then complete them on the affinity chart and you'll get more points to spend yeah the same, it, like, the, the, the they, same points that you get when you collect all the chests or beat all the enemies or do the collectopedia it's all like one big pool it's, of, it's a very simplified things. kind of form of the affinity chart from other games the, the interface for the community is like you know that community feature was like kind of like brought back from torna because torna had this community feature yep. but, but the thing about it is like this one is like it's like a lot more optional because like, you know, the, a big thing about like a big criticism about Torna was like in order to progress through the main story in Torna, you, you had, had to go actually gates. go grind. Yeah, you had hard like community uh, gates where you had to like do force force to do a certain amount of side quests to like get through the next one. On this one, you're, like the community feature is it's still the same way where you're like you can talk to NPCs and do quests for them and then you can 
um obviously get them to your community but like the the main story doesn't like gate you at all it's more of just like hey if you want to like you know just go out of your way to do more like a side quest gain affinity additional affinity points from this community future it's there but there's not there's nowhere in the story where it's like hey you need to have like achieve this community level because community levels aren't a thing anymore it's just like it's more of an optional thing that you can engage with and now. Even, even still, it's very simple. Like Brian yeah. said, there's very there's tasks for each character, but most of the tasks are like just talk to them, yeah, and like do a few do a quest maybe. They're very easy and very simple. Um, so if you're the type of person who likes just to do side quests and like just talk to NPCs, you'll do them all. Like it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's very. It's a- I think I think they didn't want it to be so overwrought like it was in some other entries, like Xenoblade One. Some of those affinity chart shenanigans, and also Torna. I, th- I think uh, that's a lot, that, that, that's the best way to really like think about this like future redeem DLC of like it game like gameplay systems. Right, it's like it's a very distilled down version of like a certain elements and aspects of every Xenoblade game in terms of their like meta systems, but like kind of blended together in a way that kind of feels like kind of pleasant and like there's like so much quality of life features in it as well that like it's kind of like. This weird like realization for like model that sounds like okay, there's like things about this that we did well and some things that we didn't. And for the most part, what they only really took out what they did well and kind of left like the like the bad sides of it behind in this one. I think the only the only thing, and I remember me and you were talking about this previously this week, is like I wish the collectopedia entries were a little bit more automated. You got to go into the menu and say, like, yep, I found all these items, give me the affinity points. But that's a nitpick. Everything else is kind of like Yeah, there's like no claim all thing for yeah, the collectopedia thing when you have like a lot of things. But like you like it's not the biggest deal, just like it's one of those, it's like you were almost there, bottom of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I like it, but like it, this they kind of Took out, I mean, not took out, but they um, took elements of the, philo- the the philosophy from Torna and put it into this game. The set, like in terms of like how they constructed like the battle system, where like it's still the same core battle system, like Adam mentioned earlier, but it's like a more prototype version of what they were represented in the base game. Like in Torna, it was like it was like it was still the blade system, but it was a more like obviously prototype version of it because in like in the in game lore. Like you know, the the blade system wasn't really as perfective as it was like you know yet in the main game, and Torna was like a much more you know like weird like more early version of it. So in this in this one, it's like like you said, there's no Ouroboros swords, but you still have like Ouroboros arts. Yeah, and it's like, a, it's like a, they call it like a union attack. Yeah, and so in this one, where like instead of going to an Ouroboros form, like the 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 state of the enemy is like kind of weirdly important. This one because like how. When you're playing the base Xenoblade Three game, you'll remember that the or the to access the Ouroboros form, you had to like fill out this like little circular gauge, and then once you're that's filled up, you can like go into it. And this one, it, what replaces that is Unity combos, and like it, you, once it's filled up, you can access it at any time to like you know have two characters that are paired together perform a Unity combo. But if you really want to get like the the Unity art or the special finisher from it, the the enemy has to be in a launch state. Uh, no matter what, because how you've achieved the burst or uh, or what's a blowdown um, or knockdown smash. That's right. I think there is also knockdown, slightly different. Yeah, the the how you reach burst or smash in this one. It's like it's not a tied to anyone's art. It's all tied to unity combo finishers now. So uh, you know, there's a lot of experimentation of which types of like which pairs you want to uh, of the six you want to pair together because oh. they all have different like effects with each other and then like have different like 
finishers on whether it's gonna have like a burst or smash finisher because it's like it's like an additional like attack on top of like the unity combo when they're in a launch state and what josh is alluding to there is obviously in the base game the character pairs were kind of predetermined where here you you have a menu where you can set of your six characters who do you want to pair with who and they're slightly different depending on your pairings so there's a little bit more variety there in terms of who you pair together honestly for me i've had uh matthew which is the 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 new main character uh, in this uh, DLC, which we'll get to in a little bit about, like you know, story bit, early story bits. But I've had Matthew and Shulk like working together because their unity bonus for me was like it, it always starts at seventy percent when you start a new battle, and then like you can up you can upgrade these unity um, uh, pairs and combos by finding like special key items, uh, and then like you know for their their special thing when you enhance is like it it always starts at full, so I I can always go right into a unity combo when i get an early launch like you know i, th- I think that's like the, the like kind of like if you're if I'll, if people remember from torna like battles were much more speedier like the pace of them were much more speedy compared to like base xenoblade 2 um future redeemed is the same way where like it still kind of has a lot of ele- similar elements of the uh, the base uh, game's battle system but it's a much more speedy pace especially with the way matthew plays like matthew is such a a really 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 effective dps player that like he's so much fun to play for me that like i've only really been using matthew because he just does a billion damage with like his very speedy uh fist uh martial artist style yeah the union yeah. i use a lot for a really dumb reason is glimmer and nicole who are two new characters and the only reason why i like theirs is because they do the they do the burst which makes the enemy drop more items i'm like ooh items because i'm an item dropper. <laughs> i need the items hey that's valid it is interesting though, like when we learned, uh, and I'll go through, of course, the character roster in a bit here. But of course, as ever since they teased the this DLC with the release of the third expansion pass content, yes, Shulk and Rex are playable. Like that's not a spoiler. That was in the yeah, that was in the marketing. But like 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 Josh said, like all right, I'm not gonna even play as though. I'm just gonna play as Matthew, this like newcomer. Like I didn't know who who this person was uh, going into it. Uh, but he, he is such, he is so much fun to play. And in the base game, I was like switching characters pretty, pretty frequently. Um, but in the base game, you kind of, you, if you want to stick to a certain class, you kind of have to. Yeah. But, but in this game where the classes are more tethered to the individual characters, because you can't really change them. Um, I've been just playing, like, I, I always, every, every time I got a new character, I wanted to like, all right, let me at least give them a tryout. I don't want to just ignore them. But like, ah, I want to go back to Matthew. Like, I don't know. He's really fun to play. And I really like his play style. So the uh, so the six characters in this DLC, as uh, detailed earlier, um, are of course Shulk, Rex, and Matthew, as we've as we've, me- as we've mentioned. Yeah, as we have mentioned, um, Adam mentioned Nicole and Glimmer, who are basically uh, two of the kind of characters we knew the least about, probably going in. Well, I say that, but then of course the last character I haven't mentioned yet, A is also a character who, before going into this DLC, we didn't really know anything about. Um, and we won't go into that until later, until we learn uh, who, who this character is and how they're involved in the story. Uh, and of course, this game is a prequel in terms of it takes place before the events of the um, the main game. But of course, there's a little bit of wibbly wobbliness to that because of, of course, the events of the main game in terms of the cyclical nature of of people and of events um i'll try to keep it as high level as i can right here when talking about that but uh how how are we feeling about the uh, other cast so far i've i've really kind of endeared to them quite strongly i I like matthew a lot yeah he's very straightforward he's not dumb 
He's he's not like he's not like the optimistic dumb guy that you sometimes get. He's he's just kind of very straightforward and he's very like says what's on his mind. Um one of the things that he said early on in the DLC that I kind of liked as emblematic of his character is when he meets Nicole early on. Nicole is the character who looks like a little shulk. Um but Nicole's thing is that he can't summon a blade. And that gets him, you know, we don't see any of this, but he says, like, it makes him feel inadequate, bullied or whatnot. And Matthew's just like, oh, but you, you made your own weapon? That's cool. And then he literally says, like, that's just, you know, this is literally his wording, like the tapestry of life. You know, that's just kind of how it is. That's how things are. That's how you are. And it's all cool, man. Like, that's just that was just kind of his approach towards learning this character can't summon a blade, which is a very strange thing. He's just like, no big deal. And he's he kind of acts sort of like a almost like a big brother or father figure to Nicole for, uh, for a little bit. Um, he's he's like an immature big brother, so he's not yeah. like he's not like the character who always has a plan, like or is always well thought out, like Shulk was. And he's also like not super brash, but immature in a ways like Rex was. Um, he he's he is a little bit like in between those. He's also quite not as like he's different from Noah as well because Noah was also. I remember when we talked about the base Noah's game. Noah was very thoughtful, very reserved. He wouldn't act until he was uh, until he was sure of his decision. He would also be a little bit more passive, which I know some people like actually didn't quite like about him, which I thought was kind of refreshing. So it's interesting that of course all of those characters very much have protagonist energy. We're not saying that it's something we haven't ever seen before, but it's just it's just a nice you know he's got some unique characteristic traits to him that aren't that are different from the other uh protagonists we've seen in the series yeah i, I really like the just the straightforward nature of matthew where he's like he's very confident in in everything he does he's very like you know uh, i'll get into the thick of it and then think about like the consequences later but right now i i prioritize you know just kind of like making good on the situation that it's unfolding in front of me it's like thinking ahead be damned almost and I think that that feeds uh, really nicely into like his dynamic with A. I think that one of the most endearing things right away with this DLC is like his relationship with A. Like you know, these are two uh, new characters that you're introduced to, and like they have a very, um, they're very push and pull. Like, so, like Ma since Matthew is so straightforward to a fault, like A is kind of there to kind of rein him in because A is much more calculated, much more cool, much more mature, much more you know, thoughtful of the overall situation, I think of the bigger picture. It's kind of yeah. funny because the way their dynamic is when you first meet them, it implies that they've known each other quite a long time. Like uh, Matthew will be very brash. A will try to pull him back or A will be a little bit more snippy, but Matthew can like take it. He's got very thick skin. But then you kind of learn later that they haven't really known each other for that long, but they kind of just like their, their personalities just kind of meshed very, very com like compatibly, not, not in terms of like a relationship way, just in terms of that they play off each other very, very well. And uh, since those are the first two characters you meet, it ends up being, it serves, it serves the story very well that they do play off each other uh, in such kind of a natural way. Um, Nicole, I, I took a lo the longest to, to warm up to him. First of all, I think his English voice is a bit, Interesting it took choice. me a long time to to get used to Nicole's English voice. Like I, uh, at first, my first, I'm like, I don't know if this is like the right fit. It took me a really long time to get used it's to. It. Really I'm okay deep. now. He's like the smallest yeah. character and he has a, in the group, and he has a really in his relatively deep voice. It's kind of weird. I still don't know if I like like it, like it, but like I'm used to it. That like it doesn't bother me now. But it took me quite a few hours to get used to it. Yeah. 
Um, and then G Glimmer, when I first met, I didn't really like her initially because she is, I think a lot of her um, lines felt like line reads in terms of like her English delivery. But then I, I it feels like it is kind of in line with her character that she's very yeah, it frank. Feels, it, it feels intentional. Yeah, she's very but, frank. You know. She doesn't use very, she uses very like simple language. She says what's on, she's on, what's on her mind. Um like that to be honest like she 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 resembles pyra uh like you know appearance wise but she but her mannerisms the way she speaks is kind of like a more mithra. like cool cool mithra like yeah. mithra but she's not angry you know yeah, yeah mithra they very sarcastic a lot of scoffing uh at the situation or at other people's behaviors just kind right. of right <laughs> yeah but I, th I think that, like, like uh, you guys said, like, I think it's very intentional with the way, like, uh, her demeanor is supposed to be, like, um, personified. And then, of course, you have Shulk and Rex, who Shulk is who he is. At least he's, like, he's in character with how he's been represented in the other games. Um, and Rex, uh, he feels... Sometimes I have to remind myself that it is the same character from 2, because he feels like a different character, but, like, in a good way. In terms of that, he's still headstrong. He's still brash, but he's a little bit less. Um, he's a little bit more thoughtful. Uh, a little bit less. He's less um, whiny, maybe. Or, yeah, I don't know. If uh, was I don't know if whiny is the best word, but Rex was kind of like there's like an immaturity to him that Rex, yeah, older Rex doesn't quite have. Older Rex is like I don't know how to like it's it's definitely one of those things that like this guy has been through a lot since we last saw him. <laughs> Uh, probably less so than like how Shulk because Shulk so you, you can still see like Zero Blade One Shulk in uh, Future Redeemed Shulk, but like Re Future Redeemed Rex is like it, it's such a it, it's such a big job. Yeah, yeah, which is fine with me, you know. Like I I I, I dig older Rex. It's a big mm -hmm. jump, but it also feels like natural. Like yeah, this is who Rex would become. So it doesn't feel like yeah. it feels like a different character, but in the certain in the same sense of like. We haven't seen this guy for 15 years, even though obviously we saw him really, uh, you know, what when did Dino Blade 2 come out six years ago? Five years, uh, six five years ago. So it, it feels like I don't recognize him, but I do recognize him. So it's very the, interesting. The, and I think they landed in a very good spot with him. The the the, the one time, like not the one time, but like the, the the small little detail that I really like from like older Rex that you guys will get to, like, like there's like a, a side quest that you'll uh, accept, like in the area that Adam's about to get to, and then you'll get to uh, at a certain point. Um, uh, Brian, where like there's a side quest about like uh, treasure hunting, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and of course like Rex is up for treasure hunting because you know he used to be he a, a treasure hunter, like yeah, yeah salvager, you know. So he was just like he's like ah oh, reminds me of, of the old days, you know. <laughs> so like okay, all right. <laughs> well, and it, I think it, that's go for it. it. I was I was just I, gonna I, I was gonna latch onto that and say like in general this uh, DLC has a crap ton. I don't know the proper adjective there or verb <laughs> noun uh, of fan service for the series and i'm i don't really have a problem with it like for instance you you i think some of this was even in the initial teaser like some of the first lines that rex says in the game is uh oh i'll teach them a thing or three or and then mm -hmm. some of the some of the other chirps uh i like your attitude <laughs> like it's like oh of course because those are his battle chirps from the second game and then apparently there's uh one of those affinity events where Shulk's like, I'm not sure if I'm feeling it and things like that. And then, of course, uh, some of the and we'll go into more details here. There are uh, 
uh, later, but there's in terms of the the other characters you meet and the locations you go, it's just this this is definitely an expansion. Like Xenoblade Three was already kind of towing the line a bit, where it's like, well, the way that game closes out, you do get a lot more if you've played the first two games. Where here, it's like this is this is content feels like delivered for people who have played all three games. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> weird to play. Like, can you imagine the person who's only played Xenoblade Three? Like, I think Xenoblade 3, you can mostly play standalone because you're basically playing it from the perspective of Noah or whatever, and you're learning about other stuff as you go. But this game is like, it would be a little, there's this DLC, a little bit trickier, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, the, this one, this one, I can't even imagine. Like, like I, I did, like, of course, you, there, there are definitely people going to be playing it who've yeah. only played one or impossible. two of the games. Yeah, it's not impossible. So many, there's so many throwbacks, right. both kind of cheeky as well as story stuff, which we'll get to. Uh, which there, there's a scene on a beach uh, with the characters that's like an important dialogue. And if you hadn't played Xenoblade 2, it's going to sound like nonsense. <laughs> what? Who are these people? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they, 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 yeah. And they, they'll, they'll even do like some little like flashbacks here and there, but like it's only, but it's not meant to like summarize those games. It's more like just for the people who played them. Yeah. You know? So it, it's kind it's kind of a weird one where like I, I feel like there's a nice payoff for like uh, for the people who's like stuck with like the main Xenoblade games, um, but at the same time it's like a weird barrier like large barrier of entry if you haven't played all of them either. <laughs> if you, if you really want to get like the most out of it, like I feel like the more you've played out of all three of the Xenoblade games, the outside of X, you know, um, the more you'll get out of this. Like really, cross is still very good. I know. I mean, like, yeah, hey, man, there, there is a, there, there's like a little tiny bit of like Xenoblade Cross, not in terms of story, but like there's like mechanics, like the ether mask thing, which is like, yeah, but that's it, you know. <laughs> unless something crazy happens at the end, I don't know. Like you said, no one's completed here. Unless something crazy, fucking crazy happens at the end, then El uh, Elma shows up. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like <laughs> I, was sure. I kept you waiting, huh? It's like what the fuck. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, where do you where, where do you want to go, Brian? You can go uh, We kind of left off Nicole and Glimmer. They're the young characters, and they're both characters. We were talking about their voice performance, but as characters, um, they're kind of the characters who, uh, they're the ones who are. So I should, I guess, I should say Matthew is from the city. So if you played Xenoblade Three, you know what that means. Uh, Nicole and Glimmer are from. Uh, Agnes, they're the, or they're, they're in the, the cycle. Yeah, they're, they're in, in the, the cycle. So they basically get the relative, very early spoilers. They get broken out of the cycle very early, and they're kind of like you know the fish out of water. Like what's going on? This doesn't. It's, uh, yeah, it's like it's like the main characters on three when they get like broken out of the right. cycle from um, Vandom. Yeah, so they're they're two characters. They're kind of like the naive characters, but also kind of like the youngins. They're the fresh face, you know, like. Uh, Nicole's got his his little gimmick is that he's very handsy with like tools and stuff, so he kind of comes into that's his utility as a character there. Um, but the, as like in terms of like storytelling, they're they're mostly just like the stand in for like all the people who are fighting in this endless war, kind of like the main cast from the main game. And the, the, yeah, there there's a nice little scene between them where they kind of get to get a feel for each other where Nicole kind of gets more swooped in a bit quicker and a little bit like not by his choice. Uh, Glimmer has a little bit of a story segment where she kind of pushes back. So like she wants to go back to what she knows. She was looking forward to her homecoming, uh, doesn't want to get involved in this stuff, but eventually kind of, you know, 
acquiesces and gets pulled in. So so that they're they're pretty fun characters. And there's there's kind of a moment uh, later in the story where they kind of prove themselves in terms of like, yeah, we're ready for this. Because even though Matthew and A are also new characters, they're very clearly established as being like veterans. They've been around a while. They've been incorporated with the city a while. Of course, Shulk and Rex have seen all the shit. Uh, so these two characters kind of have to prove themselves and they do. And everyone else kind of uh, the camaraderie is it feels really nice just to see them all kind of come together and uh, latch arms, so to speak, and tackle the threat. Um, yeah, I'm not I, 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 go for ahead. it. I was going to say, I'm not sure how much more uh, bandwidth we're going to get without opening up the gates into into story at this point. I mean, we might we might as well, right? I mean, it, it, like uh, like uh, this is at the point where like it's hard, very hard to talk about this uh, DLC further without like you know we kind of have to like start moving the goal post for like okay, what, what can we spoil and not spoil? I think we should be, be like okay, if you're if you're if you want to not listen to like more in-depth spoilers than this, than, like, the very introductory things, then maybe skip to the next topic whenever we're done, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, we're going to go into story spoilers. Uh, however, I will say that none of us have finished it, so it is impossible for us to tell you how it ends. But, of course, we're going to be talking about the premise past the first few hours, uh, the you know, the antagonist, the where this takes place, the implications for the main game, all those sorts of things that we can parse together at the like 15, 20 hour mark, it sounds like. So, yeah, this is a beefy expansion, like like Adam kind of uh, indicated. Uh, so just to kind of just to kind of lay the groundwork, this this DLC opens up showing and a lot of this was teased in the trailers showing an attack on the city where N a major antagonist from the main game attacks Grandad, which is a relative to Matthew. And then Matthew is kind of sent on a quest, basically in terms of revenge. He doesn't know why this attack happened. He doesn't know where his sister Niall is. He doesn't know why Anne attacked. Uh, all these sorts of questions, which, of course, you kind of know this character through the main game. This, we know that this is a prequel to the main game in terms of the cycle. Uh, we kind of know the outcome in general in terms of the founders due to the statues that we see in the city as they appear in the main game. But we don't know how all that comes to comes to a head. Uh, you also are introduced, of course, to A early on, and you eventually learn that after the events at the city, A kind of comes across Matthew, you know, beaten and battered and kind of joins up with him. Matthew initially says, like, out of random chance but it kind of implies not not quite so much um and then you eventually learn that i'm trying to figure out how, how best to dole this out you eventually encounter both shulk and rex and then around the halfway point of the of the dlc they recount the events that were detailed at the end of the main game about the two worlds of bionis and Allrest initially split out after the events of um the pre-events for both one and two with Klaus activating the conduit and creating the two worlds. And now the, the realization of Xenoblade three, that the two worlds have basically merged and collided. And due to the interference of Mobius have kind of formed this stagnant stuck. I'm not sure. Corrupted combo world. And, it kind of gives a little bit more perspective of the events that we've seen in the main game, but from the perspective of Shulk and Rex, rather than the perspective of Melia and Nia, who, of course, you encounter near the, the final events of, of the base game. Yeah, um, like this is kind of a because like we kind of get more of the foundations of like 
why 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 things were so fucked up and just got the shit at the beginning of three, the base game of three because like you you find out first you you it fills in a lot of the gaps that like that that you might have wanted from the uh, base game of three like at the beginning of chapter two you they they reveal right away hey Matthew's granddad was the son of the original N and um M I guess or Mio like yeah. uh, because uh, because uh, because in the whole there's a whole extended uh lengthy scene at uh, some point in like uh, in in three where you got like the background events of n uh mm-hmm. from his perspective and, like and i like, remember in xenoblade 3 one of the lingering questions was we never really knew what happened to their son yep and now we now we know he, he joined the city and apparently his name is gondor Yep, which, <laughs> which, really which, which, which is which is a familiar name. So yeah, to to recount that in case people didn't catch for those that are for those that are listening and interested but haven't played it themselves, which I'm sure is a very small slice. Uh, N and M back when they were Neo and Noah and Mio, their son is Gondor, who becomes granddad, who then of course a few generations later has um, Matthew and Niall. So N is basically Matthew's great grandpa. <laughs> which is not something I don't think anyone called. I'm sure someone might have, uh, but it's interesting to see the the lineage there uh, of those characters. And also I should mention, we mentioned Niall. I don't know if we introduced her. Uh, Niall is, um, I forget what the, uh, what the, what the universe, if they have a name for it, but it's got the cat ears, that sort of design and is Matthew's sister. And that's actually the starting premise of the DLC is that you learn relatively early on that Niall has gone missing. And that's why Matthew is out and about is he is looking for her. And then, of course, a lot of stuff happens, which we'll get to. But that's kind of like the starting premise. And in the original Xenoblade, we learn, sorry, original Xenoblade, in the main game of Xenoblade 3, we learn that the city you visit is actually like the second version of the city because the first city was destroyed. Um, And that this is basically starts off right after that so when you when you open up this dlc you play as matthew and a that's like right after or shortly after the first city gets destroyed by n so and then at that during this time niall goes missing and that's basically the starting premise there yeah i'm not really sure where you want to jump to next because like there's so much you can go with this like do you want to Start uh, start laying down the ground for like Nicole and Glimmer. Uh, that's what to... I was, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So okay, the so Matthew and I are who you start with the next two characters you introduce to are Nicole and Glimmer, which is this is this is part of the area where there is still lingering questions for me not being completed with the DLC. So Nicole and Glimmer, um, Nicole is from Kevness and Glimmer is from Agnes. I hope I have that right. Uh, and they're in the middle of a fight, and basically Matthew and A being part of the city, part of the initial Ouroboros. They're like, well, you know, we don't need these people to fight. And Matthew ends up being, you know, the headstrong person that we've kind of described that he is kind of pulls a Van Tam in the original game with the original cast uh, and basically frees them from their flame clocks and basically kind of recruits them against their will, sort of. And we kind of talk about it a little he, bit. And he's literally like, yo, stop fighting. This is pointless. Like, yeah, just be friends, be buddy, buddy. Like, don't fight. You're not enemies sort of thing. He's yeah, just so- straightforward with them. So so it rhymes it rhymes with the base game very similarly with the with the two parties that we that merged near the end of the initial chapters of that game. So Nicole and Glimmer uh basically get recruited. There's a little bit of a of a story arc where Glimmer is reluctant and ends up trying to um 
basically go back to what she knows, goes back to Agnes, go back to her homecoming. Uh, but then, of course, is attacked because she's no longer in the cycle. Mobius basically sorts her out, attacks her. And then you're introduced to, of course, the final two characters, which are Shulk and Rex. And they go in and you have this big, I think this is like the end of chapter two in in the DLC, where they... Um, you're introduced, you have your full party, you're introduced to Shulk and Rex, you, you fight this Mobius boss, uh, and then at that point you've got your six characters, they all try to have like a, a heart-to-heart about what's going on, and it's actually quite a, it's quite a very straightforward scene where Matthew's like, I'm, I'm fucking confused, you guys better explain things, and then you, you do literally sit down and Shulk and Rex recount some of the things that we know about the base game, but from their perspective, and honestly for me, who you know, it's been when did the base game come out? September? Uh, August? I don't remember. Um, it was not... It, july damn uh so it's 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 been it's been you know nine ten months just to recount the events of the merging worlds about the building of origin things like that um and about the cycles however the the lingering question and this is something that a lot of people speculated is that nicole and glimmer are clearly and implied uh, i almost implied very very strongly implied to be related to Shulk and Rex, they're they're offspring of some of some form, or at least their DNA carried forward in some fashion. However, they are tied to the cycle of this world when Shulk and Rex are not. So that's kind of a very interesting dynamic. Where there's a point in the story where Rex is like, "Well, I'm, I want to break them free because you know it's no parent should ever have to bury their child." Things like that. Where I'm quite I. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit confused about the order of events where they have their the generations. However, they're they're not part of the cycle because they're external to it, but Nicole and Glimmer are, but they've been freed from it in the same way that the main cast was. So there's, so there's a little bit of wibbliness there that I don't quite have it parsed together in my head quite yet. But of and course, also, I'm sure... in terms of just like the timeline, like how long has this world been going like how many cycles has it been this isn't the start of this world it's been a few generations and shulk and rex are here in the present so there's some sort of time yeah i i, I wonder to, hopefully that, I, I have to i have to believe that that'll get cleared up uh as we continue on and maybe you know maybe like that the way later on in the dlc when we reach it they'll, they'll lay it out for us or like give us enough to be able to connect the dots on that um that, that's my i'm crossing my fingers on that and but to, to be clear shulk and rex very obviously know and and acknowledge that oh glimmer looks like pyra and mithra and nicole looks like me yeah so, yeah, so, like, so they, they, they that, recognize this they, you, you get a lot of like great moments because of like a lot of dad moments in this game too like they're they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not they're not necessarily their children yeah, but they're basically sort of acting like, well, this is well, basically they're, they're, my daughter and basically my son. Yeah, they're they're using terms like parent and child, but they're they're kind of avoiding saying you are my son or daughter. Exactly. So that's why that's so I don't know if it's just I don't know if I'm reading too much into it or if it's somehow like it's their DNA kind of reimagined in this world in terms of like what the uh, of like this this genetical arc, the origin the fact, the fact that it was originally set up to be kind of like the rebirth of the world once they collided and kind of like and nullify it, each other. And in the base game, there was there was some sort of cheeky dialogue, never straight out said outright between Nia and Mio, which sort of implied like you are my descendant. 
in some fashion you mm-hmm. know we like not necessarily like a like a bloodline like in terms of like a normal genealogy but you know in some xenoblade-esque fashion <laughs> you have my dna and are in this world <laughs> as my offspring sort of yeah so, so there's so there, yeah and, and of course it's like they're not telling them directly like they're, they're related or not uh, they're related to their to their face it's it's more about like general themes of parenthood and like be right. like wanting to be there as like a parent figure well um, it's, it's even kind of fun like even little tiny ways that they acknowledge this like whenever rex uh at least in the part that i've gotten to so far has dialogue with glimmer he was calling her like hey kiddo and she's like, I'm not kiddo. Yeah, you're right. I know. Uh, Glimmer. So like just just little moments like that where it's like he clearly he has a fondness for her because he 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 ha- he, you know, has her at an advantage. She, he knows like where she's from and has more knowledge than her, but doesn't wants to kind of ease her into like exposing her eyes to the world. And yeah. Like and to be clear, if you haven't played this for people listening, Rex and Shulk don't outright come and say like I am your dad. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They they kind of like take him under their wing, sort of thing. And they they, they and they even have things where like Nicole is he's not meek, but he's like he's quiet. He's a little bit more easygoing. I guess I even described him as meek earlier, even though I think that's a misattribution. Uh, basically, well, Re- Shulk actually, is like uh, a, a actually calls him out on that when yeah. when um, Matthew says that. <laughs> and then and then um. Shulk actually goes to Rex like, uh, yours might be more more difficult to handle than mine <laughs> or something like that, where it's like, oh, OK, so they each have their own individual personalities. Uh, and Shulk and Nicole have this fun little moment where Nicole is trying to like tinker with his weapon, which, of course, he can't summon a blade. So he has like his mechanical arms, which I don't know if they explain this, but they very, very clearly look like the Nopon ear arms. So I don't know. I don't know if that's just meant to be for fun or if there's more reasoning for that. So he's like tinkering with it and Shulk's like, yeah, I used to always be a tinkerer myself. So clearly kind of showing that they have a lot of the same affinities and attributes and things like that. I do like uh, just as a premise of the DLC. Also, this isn't like 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 when when Shulk and Rex are introduced, they don't like go into like this is how they met. This is how like what happens. Like it's not like starting for square one and then like they, they're both clearly older and both like have a history with each other already, which is like something that I didn't think I like. Like I wasn't expecting that. Like whenever the inevitable crossover between them would do, like how they would handle it. Like I don't think I ever envisioned that. Like they'd be much older and already have like a storied history together when we yeah. next so meet up with them again. It seems like when the worlds merged, which was a while ago, um, they must have met each other and have you know teamed up, learned about each other, and basically formed a you know a coalition, uh, a party. To- but yeah, like, you know, before the events of this DLC, even. So this DLC is not starting at, like, Ground at Zero. the origin of this world, right? You know, Rex and Shulk have already sort of been here and have been working and fighting. In fact, I'll jump into the next story segment here. You learn that um, at the creation of this world, a certain character has returned from Xenoblade 1 to basically destroy it. Um, so he, name... doesn't see, he doesn't see it as destroying it. Well, right. It's a very Alvis thing to do. He doesn't go by Alvis anymore. He goes by Alpha, um, which he hasn't gone by that name before, right? That's new. That's new to this, so, as far as I remember. Yeah, I'm trying to. No, I don't yeah. think so, ever. In Xenoblade Two, he is known as Antos, or like mm-hmm. the version of him that was like transferred over worlds. It's weird. Um, this is what I was getting at before, when like there's this part at the end of chapter three, I believe, where they talk about like these events in Xenoblade 2 and the Trinity processor and Numa and Logos, who is Malos. 
And if you haven't played Xenoblade 2, or even if you have, you're gonna need, you might want to refresh here. Yeah, great. I, I, I will admit, I, I pulled up the wiki. So uh, near the end of Xenoblade 2, you, you learn about the architect, you learn about the splitting of the world, you learn about how within, after like a thousand years after All Rest, the world of Xenoblade 2 was created, Amalthus just kind of by happenstance ended up like climbing the tower, finding the the remnants of the processor ending up like taking um, Lagos, who ended up becoming Malos. Then after learning with the architect, you learn that the, out of the processor, one third of it, Ontos, ended up with the Xenoblade One world and was known as Alvis. And then the two remaining parts ended up in Allrest as Lagos, who became Malos, and then Numa, who became the Blades, which were a machination from the architect in order to try to help stabilize that world. And this is me going at a very high level because A, it's been a while. B, I had to remind myself, like I had to go up to the wiki and like refresh my memory, clear the cobwebs wow. a bit. I <laughs> forgot that Ontost was Elvis, but after going back, oh yeah, that was right. Mm. Um, but you actually learn that Shulk and Rex and Zed fought Alpha. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Zed makes an appearance. Like, yeah, at them. the very beginning, like that's at the very beginning cutscene when you click yeah. new game in this. Yeah, I just like you're in the thick of it of like, yeah, th th these are the these are the involved characters in this game. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. So it seems like basically, and you know, we haven't completed the DLC, so I don't know how this concludes yet. But this obviously, this kind of mismatched world of Xenoblade One and Two is not the world as intended in a way. Mm -hmm. So Alvis being kind of a godlike figure, it's basically just like, well, this is some monstrosity that just needs to be wiped from the earth. And Shulk and Rex are like, you know, very protagonist. Like, no, you can't just you can't just clean the slate and start over. So that's why they start fighting. And that was also in the trailer. Um, right. So the Zed was yeah, just I, off I just screen, think apparently. apparently. I, just think I just think it's funny that Zed is there too. And I don't quite get that yet. Zed is Zed was created, he's like the algamation of people's uncertainty or something weird like that. He's like he a corrupted sort of... AI origin thing. Uh, the, the people it, who are it, super it, in the in the weeds of Xenoblade are going to call me out of this. But my memory is that he kind of was birthed out of origin in like a corrupted fashion where they're like, well, I, I, I don't want the world to be eliminated and cancel each other out. So we're just going to perpetuate the now the endless now yeah, yeah. and, and he's, he feeds off of like the uncertainty of people of, yeah you know and worries and whatever but yeah he's there too because he doesn't want the world to be destroyed yeah and, 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 yeah and and i guess we're gonna get to the like this next story point like a, a major story point is like like alvis is like kind of becomes an like the, the antagonist because like um this is like when you start learning about like where where a comes into all of this is like a kind of splits off from Alvis, so like uh, that now there's like a clear split between Alpha and A because A is sort of like the consciousness of Alvis that was split off. So she's like kind of like the one who like bears the memories yeah. of like Alvis's uh, experience with Shulk in Xenoblade One. I didn't expect it based off of the like character art, but as soon as you see A in like the game model, and then it like very obviously shows her Zohar shaped earring. Like, I'm like, oh, hey, that's, and I thought, and I'm pretty sure this is probably what most people think, like, oh, this is Elvis or something. But because, you know, her name is A, mysteriously only a letter. She has the same hair, the same face and a Zohar earring. Like, huh. But I guess she's just sort of the. Sort of, um, it's not it's not Zohar. Them. It's conduit. Yeah, it's, a Zohar. <laughs> it's always a Zohar to me. <laughs> 
or what are they in the old like cross i don't remember oh i don't don't ask me they're just the vessels of all the human people. they're just ohars they're there's ohars so you say but yeah so that 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 that's why like alpha as we know it is kind of like uh just a, a pure machine now like the devoid of like emotion because a has that uh, is kind of like that vessel so you have to assume that like maybe i don't know like no one's completed but like you, you have to assume a's ultimate fate maybe is like getting fused back into alpha or something right but who knows and then the uh, final the final little story bit as of where we are mostly at is tying this whole story about the merging of the worlds the trinity processor the three computers that were comprised of that and of course alvis slash alpha ending up in an antagonist role is that prior to the events of this dlc it suggests to be very very close like a few years prior at most um, is the the tease that we saw with the initial trailer where Shulk, Rex, and apparently Zed just left screen in the initial trailer encounter Alvis and they kind of say like Rex actually um, frames it. It was a draw. Well, actually, I guess you could say we lost uh, because they best bought them just a small smidgen of time where they weakened Alpha but didn't really solve anything. And then Alpha basically in order to return to his strength needed a host they didn't use the word host i'm trying to remember the avatar avatar there we go and ends up finding and this is what ties it all back to matthew and the other characters we introduced ties it back to niall niall uh matthew's sister so matthew's sister after encountering some of the events of the prolonged fight between kevness agnes and of course how the city is involved had a, had a few moments where she was like what's the point of this can you ever promise peace i'm hating all the fighting etc and then Shulk and Orex suggest that because Alpha and Niall kind of had... And, and, and both of them, in a way, were fed up with the world. Yeah. So basically, in that moment, it seems like Niall became a suitable avatar for Alpha. So now, where I'm currently at in the story, their Niall's body and Alpha's goals whims emotions consciousness whatever are sort of merged which of course means like well i don't want to fight nile but we need to do this in order to prevent the world how do we save her i don't know that's and that's kind of the big conceit at the moment where it's like you've got this merged consciousness um nile's being manipulated and used but of course still has these strong genuine emotions against the world that allowed her to be a vessel in the first place and so on and so forth and matthew is you know determined to find a way to to free her um from alpha's influence and yeah, that's, it's, like, it's kind of like the, in a nutshell, basically. But you know, this is I'm I'm pretty excited like to see where this goes. Like ultimately, you know, like the I don't think the like obviously we we know the result like uh, like based on like having played the base three. But I'm very to see like how it all lays out because because ultimately we don't know like. Okay, so my guess, so Shulk and Rex disappear somehow. They either sacrifice themselves or return to their original world or are put aside for some reason. I'm going to guess that uh, Matthew and maybe Niall, when she gets her senses back, make like the first true Mobius at some point um, mm -hmm. or something. Or maybe, true, maybe true Ouroboros, you mean? Or, sorry, true Ouroboros, not Mobius. You know what I meant. Because mm -hmm. um, right now there isn't one. So I'm like, that would be, you know, a suitable final boss. You know, like you are the first Ouroboros or something. I don't know. Um, and I don't really know what to expect to happen to like Nicole and Glimmer. Like, do they just stay and stay in the cycle? Or I don't know. I, I, what I, what I what I think is that 
I think I think Shulk and Rex will sacrifice themselves for their you know quote unquote children, and then so, and then at the at the end of base three, um. What if there's ever like a Zeta Blade Four, or I assume I, I imagine if there's ever like a Zeta Blade Four that like directly there's like a direct continuation of, of three somehow. I think Nicole and Glimmer are going to be like the, the the main protagonists that are are now part in the unified like true timeline. Well, at the That's end of Zeta Blade Three, we know that the world split back apart. Yeah, we still they split back so, apart, so like time is still going. But like I I, I have to assume it's like. Like I can't, I can't think of like if they're not going to introduce like directly new characters, then I wonder if they're going to like if they're like kind of outfitting Nicole and Glimmer in this DLC to like kind of like carry on the legacy of their parents to whatever new thing or threat is. Oh, gonna one be other one other thing for. in the story that we that I don't quite know yet is how the Fog Beasts kind of all play into a oh, role. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> So I'm wondering if like the fog bees started showing up in the Xenoblade One DLC or Future Connected, like when the worlds were like starting to merge or approaching, yeah. like it was sort of just like an after, like a, an effect of, you know, like a, a symptom of this sort of merging world or like an early symptom. But they're showing up here now too, and I'm like, not sure. Let but the get. thing is, the thing is, is yeah. So um, about halfway through the DLC, you start encountering fog beasts, and the the characters, at least in my recollection, have not identified them or said like what are these they just they just view them as antagonists and they gotta be taken care of so it's very interesting that yeah. they show up you're there it's it's almost like the developers like hey remember these from future um future connected and we're like yes i do what are they doing here i'm confused yeah. please please, ex- please explain to me <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's also it's also really funny because like even in future connected like when you when you play and you see the fog beast you're, you're still as clueless as you are going into this one as you were in yeah. future connected you're still like yeah, I what guess these are, are still these <laughs> pretty much like nothing really gets resolved about them if you're connected. Like you're introduced, and then you're like, okay, I guess. So I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure that those will be uh, addressed, but I don't know for certain. Yeah, I, my so, guess is kind of Adams is that they're kind of like a symptom or consequence of this, of the world kind of being in kind of this weird, precarious, partially merged state. But I don't know. Now, yeah. in terms of like. Not talking about the story itself or recounting it, but like um, this direction for this DLC, it's obviously like connecting all the games together in in a way. And we know that this isn't like the chronological finale because this all takes place before Xenoblade Chronicles 3. But this is a way that kind of more strongly ties one and two to three. They are already tied, but this is just kind of... I guess what I'm getting at here is... I guess what I'm getting at here is that I would almost say I'm just I'm just one step short of saying that this DLC is essential. I think it's like some really, really good context to like what happens at the backdrop of Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, We haven't finished it yet, so obviously that can change. But I think this is a if this is a send off for like a trilogy, I think it's a pretty good conceptual DLC to do to just it's not necessarily stuff. Like, we know what the conclusion of this is going to be. It's not like a mini sequel or anything, but I think it more strongly ties all the games together. Now, I also know, apparently in in an interview around when the game released, they never necessarily said that this series is going to be a trilogy and that's it. There could be a Xenoblade Chronicles 4. I I remember us discussing that, where they're like, you know, yeah, we're probably... I remember when the game was announced, like, we we were so, like, predisposed just in media... That, oh, it's going to be a trilogy, and if there is a four, it's going to 
shake things up majorly. And it might still do that. But I remember looking at that interview late last fall. Like, oh, maybe maybe we'll just have a four. It'll just proceed. Um, yeah, it'll and, just, it, and, it'll just going. and it's interesting that you talk about like the fact that this this DLC is tying the three games together but takes place before the third game. So like but by the it's just an interesting way that they've configured that. This is not like the end state of all three games bookended here at the very end. But um somehow by the end of this DLC, Alvis will have to be taken out of the picture. Like the Trinity processor will be no more. Oh, question mark. Uh, and I remember myself exactly what happened at the end of Xenoblade 2. Like the processor's still there, right? Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah we don't we never know Numa's ultimate fate along yeah. with Alos. Uh, yeah. well, we well, don't know. Glim- yeah, I guess we don't. Well <laughs> Glimmer has like the green processor shaped thing on her chest, but I can't yeah. tell if it's just meant to be like a, a callback or generally like she actually is like more like how significant is that? Is it incredibly significant? Like I remember, like like Pirate has had that, and that wasn't like the processor itself, right? Right. So. Yeah. Good. Good point. So it, it could just be adopting the fact that yes, it's, she's it's just related. Zohar shaped core crystal. We yeah. love Zohar's here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's it's, just it's it's a pretty big meaty DLC. I think I think people like I said like if you, the more you played of the main Xenoblade games. The more you'll get out of it, you'll be visiting quite a like you'll you'll be visiting a handful of like familiar locations, and you'll be visiting you'll be hearing like a lot of like familiar tunes and rearrangements of those tunes. You'll definitely get your callbacks of like you know there's like affinity scenes in this where like there's actually like little nodes that like you can interact with, and then um, you know characters will be uh, surround like inv- uh, recalling things from the past as they like uh, uh, remark about their surroundings um and that so reminds forth. me like the, so first of all i want to say two things um i remember when we were talking about it doesn't feel like that long ago i remember when we were talking about future connected and me and adam were kind of on the same page saying like you know what i'm kind of glad that this isn't like super meta that they're not tying everything together it can kind of be standalone but in this one i'm actually kind of like really vibing with the fact that it is just chock full of fan service i'm like yeah i'm actually really quite enjoying this put the, put all i together. think they, they, they got like they earned both of them right because like they they released a separate a separate full game that was all its own thing for, for the most part and like that felt like a complete experience from beginning to end and then they were also able to like kind of release a side thing that connected it all together so like you they kind of like fulfilled both like ends of that spectrum and made them both feel really good to play and feel fulfilling to like experience through and future connected i think primarily just giving melia a little bit more of a conclusion was kind of sorely needed was 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 worth yeah yeah but i will say like on this on this dlc like there there is a point in this dlc about halfway through and and i'm okay spoiling this because we're in the spoiler tagged section of our timestamps here is that you will encounter like you're in an area and it's like, wait, is that the Colony Nine music? Like the original music from the like the some of the first music you hear in Xenoblade One? Yeah, it is. Wait, is that the Colony Nine battle music? Yeah, it is. And then you go to a place and you're like, holy shit, it's Colony Nine. And then I thought the game would just kind of leave it at that, just kind of like a, a familiar tease for people who recognize it. But then like literally you see the landmark and it's called Colony Nine. And then literally, literally, 
you the characters are like, yes, this is Colony Nine. Like, oh, okay, they <laughs> it's literally like blatantly stated out there. And then there's other ports where they're like, yeah, that's uh, what is that? Is that Valak Mountain? Oh no, it's uh, it's a combination of Valak Mountain and Tantal because those are both like the snowy places in the other two games. Like they that, basically, this is like a... basically the Rex and Shulk are can see that their worlds are being merged. Mm-hmm. And and that cause that was already kind of present in the first game, well, in the base is, game, based the on like the, the first uh, game weren't aware of that they're just like oh yeah this is you know just our mountains or I, I think i think the most endearing one of those i'm sorry i got i got to like minorly minorly spoiled this uh for for, for you uh for you both but like well, once you get around to like the black mountains like that like there's an affinity scene where rex sees Oraya, and like uh, he's like he's because like yeah i I was actually swallowed up uh you know i, I explored this and then matt is like you almost got me there i'm not gonna believe that it's like oh yeah, it was wild, wild, wild times back. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a super important question. This is sort of yeah. a joke, but also sort of not. What do you think of Panacea and Linka? Oh man, I, I actually I like think they're them. okay I like characters. I, like I think, I think it's kind of nice just to have yeah. two new characters to help bounce dialogue off of, so it's not just Shulk, you, and yeah. Rex, or Shulk and Rex and Matthew all the time. So they're mm-hmm. just more like they're more like auxiliary utility characters, but they're kind of cool, you know. Yeah, they don't they don't have like any gameplay personages. They right. just kind of like all tagging along with the party along with Riku, but like they're like kind of like assistants to kind of like to get a more grounded feel of like the world, like in terms of like of, of like the survivor. Uh, yeah, it, it, it makes Shulk and Rex's liberation group feel more real and actual. Like, oh yeah, there's actually people with like yeah, it's it's not just it's not just here. it's not just it's Shulk, not, Rex, not and just friends Shulk and a bunch of yeah and a bunch of no names. So I think yeah, just kind of a nice little side character. It it it, it, it always does feel a little kind of like somber though, because you're not you're not it's not like in base three where like yeah, flutes to like uh kind of call away like you know g- give like a proper burial of like the dead it's just like matthew going fuck we we're too late and then as they're fading away <laughs> on like dying survivors it's like oh well that's how it goes no flutes just like being like oh man they're really dead super dead but that's just that's kind of like the the dlc in a nutshell so far i think i think it, it like i feel like it's a it's a nice payoff so far of like the time of the, the franchise last thing i'll say is I just played the Fire Emblem DLC, the uh, Fire Emblem Engage, like Val Xenolog. Yep. And this is just me, and me, you're allowed to disagree, but both these expansion passes are. Uh, oh, we lost that one. Both these expansion passes are $30. And I feel like the Xenoblade, 3, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 expansion pass is like a much better value considering how lengthy and significant this expansion is. Versus the Fire Emblem expansion pass, you get like five emblems and like a four to five hour like side story that gives you like six more characters. I don't know. I, I'm I didn't really care for that. Whereas the Xenoblade one, I feel like this is a really worthwhile DLC. It just feels it, meaty. <laughs> it feels <laughs> it, nice. it, it feels meatier. It also just feels like just higher quality, just better. Yeah, and that's sure. like, I don't, I don't want to be dogmatic about that. Some people might hate this and love the Felzinolog, but just like the Felzinolog, the story wasn't as good. It wasn't as compelling. And it has some interesting balance considerations with the fact that it like adds characters. So you have like, instead of having your 12 emblems, you have like 16 emblems. And even in parts of that story where you're not supposed to have them, you still have the DLC ones and they're like, they're overtuned in certain ways. So that one just has a lot of different other like ancillary considerations that are a bit strange. 
I, I still think it's still kind of weird and funny that like they still kind of kind of kept like the like the dog shit accessory like presentability system in this game where like you still get a bunch of accessories oh. that you'll never fucking use it's still kind of like a pain to sort through them and it's just, like you're just like okay i'm just like i'm gonna rack these up in my inventory and never look at like all the ones i'm not gonna like use and, it, and it's just like, josh you gave this game a 10 how could you I... with this system <laughs> I know you're right. That's enough to knock it down seven points. I should have. I should have really penalized it back then. I know. Um, but yeah, this is this is fun. I also, you know, I I, I think also like while the night like there are like new tunes in it which are nice. I kind of sad that like the chain attack is still one still the same BGM for the chain attack, and two it still overrides. Pretty much every yeah, and battle music in the game when you use I, it. I kind of wish that like the menu music was different and like yeah. the uh, the unique monster music was different. Just I kind of wish there was just like a couple of our tracks. A little I bit know more. That, now I know <laughs> that's like almost ridiculous to say because this game has like a million tracks already. But it's, like it would have been nice. Just, like just yeah, I mean, even, even if you got like old tracks from like one and two and pulled them in here like for those things, yeah. that would have been cool. But you know, I've ever. We're asking too much, even though it's already really, really good. It's just like it's just, we're asking more from it. It's just weird, but I know. Well, we ended up spending an hour talking about Future Redeem, but it sounds like we're all really, really enjoying it, recommending it a whole lot, and we're saying that without having even finished it. I, I don't, I don't think we'll go ahead and revisit this on a future episode of the podcast. My guess is that the next time we'll talk about it. Actually, I don't know when we will. I'll just keep that up in the air. I won't promise anything because uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's worth looping back around just to have opinions on the ending. Yeah, the, it depends on how the ending goes. Maybe it's gonna be so fucking crazy. It's like we have to like spend like ten minutes <laughs> on the on the ending. Like this is fucking crazy. Who knows? All right, but yeah, uh, and really enjoying ourselves. Definitely worth checking out if you're at all a fan of Xenoblade. Even if you didn't really like three compared to the other two, if you're a fan of the other two, there's a lot to like here for some obvious reasons. We did get um, a, 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 a someone on the podcast. Uh, someone snuck in while we were uh, talking about this. Hello, hey James. Uh, hi James. How are I was you? Up all night playing Xenoblade. Um, I was up all night playing games. That's for sure. Okay. So uh, the next couple games that I have earmarked here to talk about, I wasn't sure if we would get to based on whether or not we would have James and or Chow present. Uh, how about this? The next game that I have linked here is to talk about another pretty major release of the week, and that is um, the next game from Hoyoverse, Honkai Star Rail. Uh, I know, James, you had stated you were interested in this. Have you have you started it yet, or or have you not? Yes, yes. All right, but so even though that's the case, I do know that Chow has also put significant time into this. So, how do you guys feel about that? We push Honkai Star Rail discussion to hopefully next week if we can get both you and Chow available to talk about it does that sound fair yeah that's fair yeah and um unless chow shows up later this week maybe maybe, maybe we'll just push it down forward a, a half hour or so uh but i just wanted you know two people one that put a ton of time into genshin one that i don't think has and make sure we give that game it's it's full due and get a lot of different opinions on it because it is I, I have seen a lot of positive word of mouth on that game and i just want to make sure we give it its full credit once we do um introduce it but I also have earmarked some space here to talk about another game that you have mentioned previously on the podcast that just came out is 
an interesting one, one that we have been kind of covering by the seat of our pants a little bit, and that is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So you have put up a review for this game. You've talked about it a little bit in a, some preview context previously. But of course, this is a game that we've decided to cover fully on our site. You've had a lot of opinions on it. I know that you shared on social media and within our, our Discord channel. So I'm just going to hand kind of the microphone over to you about uh, your time with Jedi Survivor, why you ended up thinking so highly of it, uh, if it was a bit of a surprise, and then also some of its um, kind of faults that have been made apparent as it's released over the week. So there's been a lot of talk about this game so far about its performance, which is understandably kind of like uh, dictating the conversation because quite frankly, the state this game is in like uh, at launch is unacceptable regardless of the platform, but especially on PC. Um, yeah, it, <sighs> It's an awkward situation for me because while I mentioned in my review that I ran into issues with the performance on my playthrough, the more I read about it, the more it seems like I probably had one of the better experiences with support. Yeah, I think I think it's that's always one of the challenging things about like when you're reviewing a game uh, pre-release because you never know like when uh, when a game that you're playing like you don't know if like the issues are like, confined to maybe your configuration and you've. Uh, and you can't account for like how everyone else's configurations will, you know, well, what their experience I, are going to be. I feel I feel for you exactly. It wasn't quite as high profile because it was just a port of a PlayStation game at the time. But I am on record writing the PC port review of Horizon um, Zero Dawn. I'm like, yeah, this runs pretty good. And then uh, everyone's like, no, this this port sucks. It's terrible. And then I ended up reading um, for that game. Durante actually had a bit of a teardown for like the most optimal settings and configuration to have the best time with that game. And I just happened to like hit all those boxes. Like, oh, <laughs> apparently just by happenstance, I have like the right brand of GPU and the right settings on my PC or whatever to have the smoothest time. So for that game, I wrote saying like, yeah, I had a great time. And then it released two very terrible performance reviews. So it sounds like to a more extreme version of that, that's sort of what you ran into with Jedi Survivor. Yeah, because the game is uh, incredibly CPU bound at the moment. And, and even just saying that is uh, maybe not giving the best impression of just how poorly this game is optimized. There is only one CPU that can even approach having a locked 60 FPS for the entire game outside of shader stutters and traversal stutters, which everyone has regardless of your system. Um, and the CPU that might be able to handle it is a uh, less than two months old. And you have you'd have nice. to specifically play the game with an AMD GPU because uh, normally it's not an issue, but there is like a known thing where in CPU bound scenarios, AMD graphics cards tend to have a little bit better performance on DirectX 12. It's usually not this staggering, but just the way this game handles like uh, CPU and GPU uh, resources is completely off the mark. And it sucks because the experience I had besides some like, like stutters here and there, which again, anyone's going to run into the game, like when it gets the chance to run and look relatively well, is like really impressive visually. And it's like a fantastic game. It's like, 
people will read my review and be like, oh, you mentioned the performance is bad. And everyone else is talking about how they're lucky to get 30 FPS in like the game's main hub. And it's like, yeah, I get that. That wasn't quite the experience that I had on my machine. So when I was writing my review, it's like I'd heard that other CPs had issues maintaining 60 FPS and I mentioned it. But even then, I did not realize just how bad the game's optimization was. And then, like, you know, if the, if it gets improved over the next year, do you want to be married to that in your initial review? Like, it's very it's a very hard needle to thread. Yeah, and like, it's, it's like one of those, it's like, no, no one's really at fault here except, like, the publishers that keep on, like, pushing up the deadline, pretty much. Like, I don't blame reviewers because they, they can only, like, review things from their perspective. If you had, like, you know, you and Brian, like, you know, with Horizon and Jedi Survivor, you know, you know respectively like you can only really review what you experience you can't really account for anyone else's experience with the game firsthand so you don't you can't account for that when you're going through them but at the same time i can understand you know people's frustrations like hey they're asking 70 dollars for this game and like it just doesn't fucking work on my machine or it fucking runs poorly on my machine you know like of course people are gonna be mad about that uh uh, and you know and i can understand like kind of it's kind of like it's kind of maybe misplaced anger, but like, but you know, it it it, it does feel frustrating on some level, on a human level, when you see like people having a better experience, and you see like these like you know reviews from uh, from people from outlets, and be like, what the fuck are they doing? This thing is totally broken on release, and a lot of people have been reporting it uh, as such, and like, and you guys have been like you know, been praising it very highly without, like, you know, um, even though it's, like, totally not working for me and a lot of other people. It's, it's, it's And, like, they just want to, like, be angry, you know, because they, they're frustrated about the whole situation and they don't know where to, like, kind of vent towards, you know? Well, <laughs> Which, so, what, so what if, let's say I haven't been following this game as closely and I say, like, okay, a PC port is kind of busted. That's unfortunately not new news this year. It's been a recurring theme. I'll just get it on PS5. Like, if I say that, is that a good idea? Is that a, like, I don't uh, know. If you're fine with 30 FPS, the quality mode on consoles seems to be mostly okay. And that's already been a lot of subcovers, like mostly okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So, with you know, 30 FPS, and eh, they can't even maintain that 30 FPS, you know. Yeah. So, like I was watching a buddy of mine uh, play through the uh, opening uh, sections of the game, and he ran into, like, on the second planet, there's like this, like, river that's uh, kind of cutting through a bunch of the uh, main hub, and, uh, Apparently, quality mode on consoles just has ray tracing enabled. So you, as soon as you step up to that river, river like the frame rate halves to 15 FPS on quality mode. Wow! Because it's like, because it's like, it, here's a ray trace reflection. This is a big river, which means it's reflecting a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still at the place like where the ray tracing on. I'll turn it on, but like I, I'm still at a point where the performance payoff is not worth it. I don't think I've ever played through a game cyberpunk initially and then uh well like forespoken had it i think um where i've kept it on because the performance hit was always just too massive and now it's like the fact that you don't get a say in the matter here like oh okay well on neat. pc you do get a say and i did well, actually i meant on the console the version yeah yeah so, so i mean okay so it's like uh, uh, i guess uh, since we're, we're on this topic you know 
Respawn has come out on their Twitter, um, not, you know, obviously as stating like, you know, we're working on fixes for the PC version. They haven't really, you know, I'm sure they're aware of the issues with the consoles. I don't know how the Xbox is holding up with this, um, but they, they, they've mentioned specifically, hey, you know, like the way they worded this, uh, their, 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 I don't know if it's an apology letter or acknowledgement letter on Twitter. <laughs> um, James, well, kind of walk us through like how Respawn kind of worded their um, acknowledgement of this PC version. Uh, first off, uh, gaslighting, <laughs> uh, because uh, one of the things they uh, said is, well, we, we understand that some people with uh, mismatched graphics cards and CPUs have run into issues. First off, Going by the utilization of CPUs, even far weaker CPUs should be hitting 60 FPS because the way this bottleneck is happening happening isn't just that you're maxing out your CPU utilization or even maxing out a single core. It's just like for whatever reason, even though like if you check like metrics in MSI Afterburner or Task Manager or what have you, your CPU is the bottleneck. And you'll you can tell if you like super sample like the game that you can get your GPU maxed out if you try hard enough, regardless of your CPU. But the problem is, is that no, like your minimum frame rate is determined by your CPU and the utilization that you're seeing for your CPU cores and your threads is not as high as you would expect for a game that is CPU bottlenecked. But also just so, a statement in general, having not read it, but it's sort of described here, is that mismatched hardware, it's like that's just that's just PC development in a nutshell, right? You're you have like yeah. and I understand that's very difficult, but uh, that's not I, even I, the exact wording. Let me find the exact wording because uh, I, right. I think that was even worse. Okay. We are aware that Star Wars Jedi Survivor isn't performing to our standards for a percentage of our PC players. In particular, those with high-end machines or certain specific configurations. For example, players using cutting-edge, multi-threaded chipsets designed for Windows 11 were encountering problems on Windows 10. Or high-end GPUs coupled with lower-performing CPUs also saw unexpected frame loss. Rest assured, we are working to address these issues quickly. Well, these cases quickly. While there is no single comprehensive solution for PC performance, the team has been working on fixes we believe will, will, perform, will improve performance across a spectrum of configurations. We're committed to fixing these issues as soon as possible, but each patch requires significant testing to ensure we don't introduce no new problems. Thanks for understanding and apologies to any of our players experiencing these issues. We will continue to monitor uh, performance across all platforms and share update timing as soon as, as it is available. Star Wars Jedi team. I'm just going to say it. The only paragraph from that like a statement that I feel like is acceptable considering how blatantly obvious the issues with the game are to anyone that is playing the port is that last paragraph. Those first two? No. I'm sorry. They had to have known. Yay had to have known. Not to mention that I think it's worth noting that I'm the reviewer that probably had the best experience playing through this game on PC. My system is almost a match for the systems that they had us play for play on for the preview event. It's like I having not developed a game, like I'm always I'm hesitant to say, like, how dare they? But to me, it's just like the fact that they called out the specific like configuration, like, oh, a hardware design for a certain operating system, but on another operating system or having a high end 
GPU that wasn't intended to be delivered to or something. It just it just seems like I don't know if they needed that specificity in their in in the statement. I feel like they pre prepped this letter before launch and like it's like, all right, now hit tweet. <laughs> it's kind of a like it's like a weird like early acknowledgement of the problems that like you first saw was gonna happen. In a I'd also way. like to mention that I specifically asked the developers about some some uh, parts of the PC port during the preview event. I asked, okay, is it going to pre-compile shaders? They said it did. There is a UI prompt saying that pre-compile shaders. Digital Foundry's video just came out for the PC port earlier today. Um, but I do also want to say that I've been talking with Alex Batalia from Digital Foundry about the state of this port uh, before and after launch. And, like, the reason I say, oh, they should have known is that you get drops below 60 FPS on a 12900K. On a 13900K, there's no excuse for that. <laughs> None. Like, the CPUs in the consoles are, like, downclocked Zen 2 CPUs. And a, th a 12th gen or 13th gen Intel CPU, like, but Intel i9 is so much more powerful than that. An AMD Zen 4 non-X3D chip is so much more powerful than that. The fact that the only CPU besides like stutter that everyone's going to get can even approach being a locked 60 FPS is one that's so new. The, the 7800X3D came out this month. The 7950X3D came out in February. <laughs> It's like, Ugh. man, it's well, unfortunately, I will have to just try to be like, it's unf the fact that we've seen this on multiple games. This is probably the worst example we've seen this year so far. It's the worst. It's the worst PC port we've seen in probably like half a decade. Wow. No, but I, then then I have to transition to be like, all right, uh, setting that I, aside. How about I, the game? I, it's, a, it's one of those weird things that like. Like, should we just like talk about like the, what this game is like at a at a later like maybe date like maybe next week to see like if if it's running better and like more people are able to like play this game because for me like uh, for for me it's just like I I don't know I don't know what people what kind of like get out of like talking about the contents of this game and like a lot of people are just like can't even play it frankly. <laughs> So it's just yeah. like it's kind of a weird thing. We're like, I'm like, I read your review. It's a really, really good review uh, that you put up, Jace. I'm really excited to like play it whenever they fucking make it playable. You know, because I did my Jedi Fallen Order replay. I enjoyed it. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, like, you know, ready to get into this new one. But I have the Xenoblade DLC, and I have some other stuff in the works. I'm just like, maybe I should just like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do about this game. You know, I'd like to really, really like play it, but. We don't like, know when it will be patched. Exactly. And we like, don't know if, if it will be patched because, like, I, I've heard nothing. I, I, frankly, I've heard nothing about like the contents of this game whatsoever. Because and, we're, like, and we're contributing to that. We're on like exactly like the, the prevailing conversation of it is because, like, you know, understandably, like, the game much broke. like much like Wild Hearts, you know, people can't just fucking play it when it comes out, and like that's really really frustrating and becomes more of a fuck. It's just the trend of this year. Like we've already mentioned, like in a previous episode, it's just like, well, I would, I would like to like play the video games I purchased for like sixty, seventy dollars at launch. And if that, that's not, if that, if that's not going to be the case, then like, I, I don't know, I don't know what to tell people. It's like, 
sure support yeah. developers at launch, but like, but in this case, like, how much are you willing to do it though? Like, when you can't even like just have fun with the thing that you purchased. Yeah, and fully like, like, still like, obviously, uh, standing by my statements about the game's performance. This is like once it gets patched, or more realistically, once because I feel like. We can't guarantee this game will be patched. But in three years, if you build a new PC system, at least you'll probably have an okay experience based off of what the experience <laughs> three, I had. Uh, a game. PC three years of the future. Just a fight and play Jedi Survivor. Hell yeah. Yeah, build, build, build <laughs> I, feel, I feel icky saying that, but it's like the game itself is good. And that's basically what happened to Fallen Order. That game I, was a bit of a technical Oh yeah, Oh much. yeah. It was, I, do, it was, I do think there is some truth and merit to that where... You can't just take a game like if it maxes out on my PC, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. Uh, you know, I'm being reductive, but sometimes games are future proof a bit where it's like this game will continue to look great even so many years into the future. That just shouldn't be like a requirement. But the thing yeah. about this one is that it's got like James didn't even talk about like the difference between like AMD and uh, NVIDIA GPU performance disparities and weird stuff. Well, that's I did not mention it. Oh, you did. I'm sorry. Uh, but just there's one thing to say, like, like this game is just really taxing because it's using some bleeding edge tech and uh, it runs fine. If you just turn down the I remember like when NVIDIA Hairworks came out, uh, this is like 20, 2009 or something like that, where people would try to run this. And it was like, well, the game runs. It's almost like ray tracing, I suppose, where it's just like if you don't have a GPU that supports it, then you can just enjoy the game at some with some really stellar production values but this thing is admittedly a a huge resource sink that you have to tap into and opt into or this unfortunately it doesn't seem like this game there's just like a setting that you can turn down or off to get adequate performance is my just, uh, here's, here's 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 your record here's your settings 480p and then dlss or whatever fucking uh, i'm sorry things. i'm sorry josh i'm sorry uh -oh. if you have a 4090 you're gonna have the same performance that way than you would at 4K with ray tracing off max oh, settings shit. otherwise, oh, because shit. it's all CPU bound. Yeah, all not, CPU not, not bound. even the resolution, uh, not even making it look like shit on purpose. Yeah, we'll I, I feel like I feel like it's important <laughs> to note that going by the actual GPU performance of this port, like if the CPU bottleneck wasn't a thing, I think the GPU performance would be acceptable. The problem is nobody's fucking seen that right now because the game is so CPU demanding. It's basically broken. And you had so many people saying, oh, well, FSR 2 is completely broken in this game. But no, it's not. It's that every single person that wasn't using something like close to my fucking setup wasn't having any extra headroom with their G like to with uh, FSR added because they were so fucking CPU bound. All right. So you're well, saying the extra uh, performance. Uh, okay, oh. so I'll leave it to you. I'll, I'll leave it to your judgment call, Brian. Do, do we do we actually talk about this game, or do we just like leave it like a like let's not, let's sit on it a week on it for a week on a week like Honkai, and then hopefully we have a more earnest conversation about well, you know yeah, it's, it's kind of, of one of the, it's kind of one of those things where I'm of two minds about it. I feel kind of guilty in a way where I'm going to have a timestamp that says Jedi Survivor, but it's just talking about performance. But that is the topic where we talk about like oh let's talk about how you felt about this game. 
but no one else can no one else can have this uh, i won't say no one else very few people can have this experience right now to actually like play this game and enjoy it james um, i am with you that i want i want to love this game but i want to love it like when game, i my, my initial playthrough of it and not be frustrated with yeah, like yeah yeah technical uh, shit I, like I I I, I I i i am the prime person of like i'm ready to really like this game i'm i'm ready for it i just it, but i if but it, but it's like say game of the year time and the only thing I have to say about this game is like it was a fucking mess when I played through it. How can I even like begin to comment on it? And that that's even like a, the weird thing weird thing when we walk into the game of the year. It's like it's like this game was great, but at the fucking launch date of it, it was like Yeah, like, it's like you, kind of like a weird, a weird like earmark asterisk by it too. Did you yeah, did you like, did you play Jedi Survivor in April or did you play it in August? Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, all I can say, all I can say is that outside the performance issues which for the most part i was able to overlook with my specific setup during my specific playthrough of the game like if you can manage to get a comparable experience to that it's a great game it's a fantastic game even 99% of people are not going to get that experience not now and probably not for like at least like a year and a half, two years when the like overall like floor of PC hardware rises and it's like, OK, I make I'm making a new system or I'm upgrading or something like that. But that doesn't excuse that regardless of, oh, eventually people will maybe be able to have this experience like more consistently. This game should be running better now than it does. And that's basically it. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I honestly, I honestly would feel a bit strange going any more detail in than that. So I don't, I think there's pros and cons to going either direction, but I'm leaning towards just leaving at that until we've had maybe multiple people play it. There's some improvements on the developer side, um, having a little bit more earnest conversation rather than having this elephant in the room that says like, well, with that set aside, let's just talk about how good the game is. <laughs> it just seems a bit uh, unearnest. <laughs> so. Um, oh. So we'll, I think we'll keep it there for now. Maybe maybe I'll regret that decision later, but I have to make a choice. And well, it seems and like... hopefully you'll get a better conversation out of me and me and uh, and James here because I want to I want to play this and when I want to talk about it, I want to like you know at least talk about you know the game itself and like I'm ex like you know going through it and like really dig into like you know what's the actual good and bad things on the merits of the game itself rather than like all this yucky stuff. Yeah, and life. that and hopefully you know the best case scenario would be at whenever that comes to be something has been addressed where you're like, okay, we can give credit where credit's due. Now we have other, we have multiple viewpoints on the game, multiple people playing it and having a good time. And that, and so it feels a little bit more genuine and earnest at that point. Yeah. So hopefully within this week, very so, soon. So, yeah. So <laughs> setting it, so setting it aside to hopefully have a happier conversation about it uh, down the road. And then we have one other release this week that we had earmarked for last. And this is one thing that Adam had covered from earlier this month. The game I'm talking hey. about is Trinity Trigger. Uh, are you familiar with Furyu? Yes. Okay, so Furyu is a Japanese publisher of niche RPGs. Um, they're usually not tied in a franchise, but what, what Furyu does very often is that they they will hire a a developer, usually different developers, to create a game, and they oftentimes get like key staff from from popular franchises, usually older or more dormant franchises, uh, to participate, whether it's art or music or design or story, um, 
and then sell the game as in a sense like almost like a spiritual successor of some sort they do this pretty frequently um they did it they uh, even though monarch is a different type of game they advertise a lot of shimagami tensei people on it uh caligula they had the persona 2 writer um they had the suikoden writer on the alliance alive and that also borrows elements from saga so they do this a lot now the thing is is furu is a publisher they usually get different developers to work on their games landcarst was the developer on monarch but they're not the developer on this game this oh, game okay. trinity trigger is developed by three rings um, off the top of my head, I don't remember Three Rings. They did some mobile game. Let me see. That doesn't ring a bell to me. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 it kind of rings a bell, but I'm like, am I? I can't, I can't remember. Three Rings is, they've been in my head. Uh, they did, Three Rings did, they did a couple of story of seasons, I guess. They did Tokyo okay. Ghoul Call to Exist. Oh, that's um, like a was that a like a multiplayer type of game thing? I, I think know. so. Anyways, so this game Trinity Trigger is very very obviously a mana game, and by that it means it's trying to be Secret of Mana, like and there's just it, there's no doubt about it. It's extremely evident. Uh, I should probably open this section by saying I'm not a huge fan of Secret of Mana. So why did I review this game? I don't know. No one else wanted to. So. Uh, this game, Trinity Trigger, uh, is like a mana game. It has the mana composer, uh, Kakuta, on it, and it shares a lot of the similar stylings to it, in that, if you're not familiar, there are action RPGs, they're some of the oldest action RPGs, they're, these ones have a top-down sort of viewpoint, like Secret of Mana, and the original Trials of Mana, Saiken Densetsu 3, and... They also have a, you have, okay, let me set it this way. So your character, your character is Cian, or Cyan, and you are growing up in a normal JRPG town, and you are basically put on the run after assassins are out to get you for some reason. Shortly later, you gain a weapon that is basically like a transforming weapon, and it's actually like a personified character, Then they're called a trigger. You might have seen the art of these. They look like a Pokemon. The reason why they look like Pokemon is they actually have a Pokemon designer on it. Um, yeah, that's right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, and this weapon can change into eight different forms, which is a very mana thing, Secret of Mana in particular, where you have various weapon types. Also the original game, Final Fantasy Adventure. And so you're going through the game. You have various weapon types. And key to this game is that different enemies are weak to different weapon types and that's actually that's that is if i had to say there's one key component to this game that is the central component it is that is that you have eight different weapon types as you're going through the game different enemies are weak to different weapons and if you're using a weapon that an enemy is weak to you'll be doing hundreds and hundreds of damage if you use an a weapon that uh, that is ineffective against an enemy you'll be doing like single digits it's a big difference. You, you pretty much have to use the, uh, the weapon that an enemy is weak to, or at least neutral to. And uh, the game has a ring menu. If you played Secret of Mana, you know exactly what I mean by ring menu. You hold a button, it pulls up a menu, and you basically, it's like a circular concentric ring, and there's, you can, there's one for weapons, there's one for items, and you basically just click the controller in whichever direction of the ring you want to use it, and you use it, um, or change weapons or whatever. Um, 
I was not a big fan of this game. In fact, my review might be one of the lowest reviews of the game. It, the, the game, the reviews are mixed, but I'm still on the low end. And one of the key reasons for that is that I am not, I, I wasn't a big fan of how this weapon switching worked and how the AI party members worked with it. So this game, you ultimately get three characters. You have your character, you're the main character, Cyan. You get uh, a princess type character named Elise, and then like the older guy who likes to get drunk a lot, his name is Xantis. And um, the characters are not great. To be honest, I kind of forget what they did. Um, <laughs> but in terms of gameplay, the characters are all practically identical. They can uh, eventually, they start out with different weapons, but eventually any character can wield any weapon. So there's no functional difference between them. But here's kind of the problem I ran into, is that you're playing as your character, whichever, whichever one of the three you want to control, because again, it doesn't matter. And you're fighting an enemy, and you realize, oh, the sword I have equipped is weak, is not working very well on this enemy, so I better switch it to a different weapon. Let me try fists, and fists don't work. Let me try axes. Okay, axes work, I'm good. However... My trailing guys are using, like, let's just say Elise, the AI-controlled unit, is using a bow. It's not working very well. The AI will never change their weapon. They'll just stick with whichever weapon they have equipped, even if it's doing pathetic damage. So what that kind of means is, playing through the game, you have to switch between characters and switch between weapons pretty frequently. You don't have to do it all the time for every enemy, for every, like encounter you meet into the game but in terms of just like being effective at the game you want to use weapons that are that are effective against enemies so relatively frequently you're going to be using that ring menu a lot to switch characters and to switch their weapons because they won't switch them on their own additionally there, this game is an action rpg you do get sort of like a special attack you can use where pretty basic stuff i won't go into the details where you you do a couple of normal attacks and as you build up a meter you can pull off like a, a super attack and there's a couple of different forms of this. But your allies, your AI allies, will never do their special attacks. They'll just kind of use their regular attacks. So what that means is you're, I'm also switching between characters to like just make sure they like fire off their, their, their stronger attacks because they won't use them otherwise. And that was kind of like my first big annoyance with the game. Just, you're just switching characters constantly. You're switching weapons constantly. The AI is dumb as bricks. It's honestly one of the dumbest like AIs I've ever encountered. Um, let's just say, let me paint a picture. Let's just say you are on the left side of a cactus and your allies <laughs> okay. on the right side of a cactus. <laughs> your ally wants to come to where you are. So they all run straight into the cactus. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and they'll get hurt and they'll be like, oh, I'm hurt. So what do they do then? They run into the cactus again <laughs> and again and again, and they'll keep doing it until you move. They are very, very dumb. There is no pathfinding in this game. This yeah. game does support like local yeah. multiplayer co-op, but only local, local, right? Yeah, I actually, local. I actually even said in my review. Let me make a clarification on my review and my review score here. I am reviewing this as a single-player game. Mm -hmm. If you play this in multiplayer, like you have a friend or family member, brother, sister, parents, daughter, son that you want to play with, it's probably a much better game. <laughs> you know, obviously any game is improved if you're playing it with friends and family, but also just having two people controlling and being smart players is probably a, a big advantage versus playing with a con computer control. But anyways, um, I should actually, I guess, let me clarify one more thing. The, the final boss of the game, 
one of the final bosses like signature moves is they kind of zoom across the battlefield and they leave like a streak of poison behind them oh boy and your enemies or your allies mm-hmm. will just continue to run into it and just kill themselves <laughs> they are extremely dumb um and so that's a frustrating thing but even even just putting aside the ai stupidity just having to switch between characters and switch between weapons so frequently it, it just became like tedious um you don't have to do it every time and sometimes if you have like one person equipped with a weapon that's effective against the enemies that you might be okay but it's still just kind of you know you have allies that are trailing you that are just doing pathetic damage and basically being useless it's just like okay i better switch to them to switch their weapons just so they're not being useless it, it you do this so frequently it just kind of became annoying it sounds um, like it's a bunch of compounding effects where it's like all right uh, the weapon's ineffective, so I will have to switch your weapon. Oh, okay. You also have to use your special that you're not going to use on your own, so I have to make sure that you that you do that. Also, yeah, I, would, I don't I know if it's play. worth switching because your AI is so dumb anyway. So I don't know if I should even bother. I would literally like when fighting a boss after I switch their weapons to be good weapons, like I would do special attack, switch, special attack, switch, special attack, switch to kind of like cycle through the characters and make sure they do their special attacks. Um, but there's actually another compounding element to this that's also my, kind of like my second big strike against the game. So the game has an equipment system. Um, I'll call it a rune system. I think they're called mana type, but just to be easy, I'll call it runes. You don't equip runes on the characters. You equip them on the weapon. And you can equip six runes per weapon, three for attack or offensive abilities, three for defensive like stats. And these do affect your stats or sometimes your resistances to poison or whatever. Um, and these are the only equipment in the game. And so if you want to think about it in totality, you can equip six runes onto eight weapons onto three characters. I believe that's 144 slots to deal with. Now, you don't have to do all of them. In fact, you'd be dumb to do all of them. But even still, the fact that your runes are only set for a single weapon was a little bit frustrating. And the reason why is that runes, like to get the really the best runes possible, you need item drops. Like they're just like loot crafting items that you get from enemies or sometimes from quests. There's a lot of them. And you could put these, these enemy drops together at a workshop and you basically create strong runes. So let's just say you take some rare items and you make like an attack plus 30% rune. That's a pretty valuable rune. You're like, you know, increasing your damage output by a third or, you know, close to that. And you equip that onto your bow. But that means only your bow is powered up. So if you end up fighting an enemy that is weak, or I should say an enemy that bows are ineffective against, then it's, it's kind of a waste. Like, oh, let me switch to my, my, my spear, because that's what you're weak to. But my spear doesn't have that rune. It might have a weaker rune. But it just, now my spear is just not as well equipped. So now I, ha- I have to use it because the, the enemy is weak to it. So I basically think, okay, there's three options here. Option one is that you can just deal with it. And okay, my bow is strong. My spear is not as strong because resources are finite and I can't equip them all optimally. You just can't, you know, that's just literally economics. So just deal with it. And like, okay, my bow is strong. My other weapons are not as strong. Two, you spend time grinding out items to like, more evenly equip your weapons so in case you run into that situation you can have more weapons like powered up that's that might be the fairest option but it just requires more time like putting together runes and grinding for items and things like that the third option is to do what i did 
And when you switch weapons, you can actually switch runes in battle. So I would go into the menu, switch the weapon, and then I would take that attack plus 30% rune off my bow and onto my spear, which you can do in battle. And that like solves the problem of like, okay, now my spear is powered up, but it just it's just more menuing you have to do. To like, okay, I gotta switch my weapon and I gotta go into the rune menu and switch my rune. And basically the way I praised it in my review is like, this is sort of like a lose-lose-lose situation. It's just tedious to deal with this. Now, I understand that like you need some resistance from the game and it can't just give everything to you. But I just think these concepts, these mechanics don't jive well together where only certain weapons are, are you know, effective against certain enemies and ineffective weapons do puny damage. And then that these runes are basically set per weapon. You, it just kind of like you have like two tedious mechanics kind of coming to a head, like mismatching here. And it just... I just didn't care for it at all. Yeah, it's one of those things that like, you, like, there's modern expectations of like, for, like AI teammate party mates these days. And like, if you if you're in 2023, or even when this game released in like maybe last year from Japan, or like, if you just have like dumb AI, like people just have very little patience for like that sort of. I'm like, not even really talking about the AI. I'm just talking about all this menuing you have to do. Yeah, to do. but 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 the, but that's feeding into like you know you're you're menuing to like you know kind of mm. and try sort of like bypassing like the shortcomings of this the game like inherently. And so, right. like, so putting all that, putting all, laying that all out, as you go into an, an encounter with just random enemies in the game, or maybe a side quest boss or whatever, you'll be switching characters semi-frequently um, because, again, they don't do their special attacks on their own. You might need to switch their weapons or whatnot to make them actually do something. You might need to switch to a character just to get them out of harm's way because they're dumb. And then you might be switching runes around just because, oh, my good runes are on my weapon that is not good against this enemy, so let me, I gotta switch them around, or at least, or just deal with it. And so it just kind of became a mess of just, like, a bunch of menuing, like, all the time, and I just, it's just, it, that's not really what I was looking for in an action mm -hmm. RPG. Let, let me play yeah. devil's advocate here, just slightly. Let's say, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go of my tendency to min-max, and I'm just going to do that option one, just deal with it. Just like, okay, you're making the choice to go into the menu and change the runes around. What if I just don't do that? Like, how bad is that penalty in terms of you're, like... You're, you're, you're probably your best, most efficient option is to have each character equipped with a different weapon with strong runes as long as you can on, on their main weapon. So like, let's just say you have one character with fist, one character with the bow, one character with the spear. And you make that their like primary weapon, and then you you equip their strongest runes on them, and then you just hope that the enemies you you run across are weak or at least normally like neutral to those weapons, and then uh, at that point maybe you can have like a backup weapon on each character, but then at that just, point you're just trying to like mitigate like the 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 amount of inconvenience. Like, how can I uh, have this inconvenience me the least? You know, like, what if you, what if you, you like? I know you like to say that like you like it when games inconvenience you a little bit, but I feel like this is just over the line. Where it's just, I I would have rather just like have runes be like fewer like fewer runes in the game and just apply to like the character rather than to a weapon like okay this character does like has is more defensive this character is more offensive or something like that rather than having to deal it with it per weapon per character that was just too much and especially for this game that's kind of like lighthearted and relatively simple otherwise it's just it didn't jive with me so how about and also, story? And also the story is just whatever <laughs> 
it's not terrible. It's not great. It's just oh, it's it's can there. Spoil one, can I spoil one small? Okay, uh, this is not no. really a, this is not really a spoiler, but I literally laughed out loud. Okay, so at, the, at the very end of the game, you're fighting the final boss. Final boss is basically like, haha, I am the final boss. Come feet, come fight me. <laughs> and then a female party member or a female character who has long hair, she's she basically stands up. She takes out a knife. She cuts off her hair for no reason. And she says, witness, she says, witness my resolve. And I literally said to myself out loud, why? Like, why did you do that? You didn't need to. <laughs> like, is this teed up at all, like in the game? That's no, awesome. No. And I know that that trope is a trope that you see in other, in, in, and can be done well. But like, usually it's like a character is a princess or someone with long hair is like going out on an adventure and the long hair is like, literally like an inconvenience to have that when you're traveling or whatever so it's like okay it makes sense to cut it in a sense here and it is also a thematic element to it sure i can buy it but here is like out of nowhere she's just like i'm gonna cut off my hair and literally say witness my resolve <laughs> like and i just kind of felt like this empty gesture kind of summarizes the game for me <laughs> um but yeah the story is fine the art is very good. It's Raita Kazuma, who does very good art. The music is pretty good. It sounds exactly like Secret of Mana. It's the same <laughs> composer. It's, it's pretty good. Um, so the art is good. The music is pretty good. Um, the game looks like a lost 3DS game. So it's, you know, it's got very simple but stylized graphics. It's very, it's, it is no, in no doubt a cheap game just in terms of its presentation, but it works with it well enough to like, okay, you clearly have chibi-ish stylized character models, and that's offset by the fact that you have this really well done portrait art that's, you know, that takes place during dialogue. Um, but, you know, it's not a visual powerhouse. No one's expecting it to be, and the story itself is just kind of standard fare. Um, there's some neat concepts. Uh, the, the premise of the game, I should just let you know, is that there's this there's this war between gods like a chaos god and a law god, or does this sound familiar? But um, the the war has basically become a proxy war. So there's your main character is the avatar of chaos in a sense, and then you meet the avatar of lawness, uh, lawfulness or whatever. And then there's you know there's some concepts there that are like fine, but overall it's just it's just pretty standard fair stuff. It's if you've played hundreds of RPGs like we have, it's and it's it's kind of and it's kind of unfortunate. It's like okay, well, it sounds like most of your hangups are involved this the implementation of this three character system and their gearing. You can't. You don't, it doesn't solve all of this, but like okay, all this stuff about the AI and the cactus and the poison trails. I'll just play with a buddy, but doesn't support online play, only local. Which I know sometimes we're in the opposite place where it doesn't support local only online. Where it's like here, it's just like, well, if I wanted to say, okay, Adam, let's just try to get this game a fair shake and play it together. Oh, wait, we can't. We literally just can't unless I go take vacation time to go visit you and play this game. Yeah, you go meet up at your, your parents' house, your parents' home. Go all right, play it together uh, with your brother, right, this... uh, other brother, and you know. All right, the yeah, next time go. Adam and I have a get together, we will make sure to earmark time. Like uh -huh. Trinity Trigger and local <laughs> co-op, so uh -huh. that we can so we can give this game as fair of a shake as possible. Yeah, uh, <laughs> real chance. I do think this game is probably a lot better in multiplayer. Obviously, you're playing with a friend, someone you probably like, and you don't have to worry about <laughs> what you don't, you don't have to worry about. Someone you probably like. I don't know. <laughs> 
uh, for them running into poison or cactuses or needles or whatever. Uh, I'll make sure to run into the cactus and go to the poison <laughs> if we play local movie. It is seriously some of the dumbest. I'm going to exhibit real NPC behavior. I should have made a gif of like uh, your, uh, the guy, just of one of your allies just repeatedly running into poison like touching a hot stove and touching it again. <laughs> Does so. this still hurt? Yes. Ow. <laughs> Heal me, please. <laughs> Well, so, that's, un- that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, at least Xenoblade 3 is still good. Let's play that local co-op, huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Trinity Trigger 1, Xenoblade 0. Well, with that, uh, that kind of covers us based on the flow of conversation and the fact that Chow couldn't make it this week with the games we've been playing. Obviously, we do have Honkai Star Rail kind of on our radar, and I know Chow's been enjoying it a lot. So hopefully we'll get a chance to get him and James and if anyone else on staff is uh, free and able to talk about it, we'll get some people to talk about their impressions of that game so far. Because like I stated, from a distance, it seems like word of mouth has been quite good. So I'm eager to hear some firsthand impressions on that game. So hopefully next week, if we can get the uh, the right people in the room. Uh, with that, we'll move on to uh, shouting out a few features on the site and going into the news slate for the week, which is um, there's a lot of headlines here. A lot of it is kind of backfilling the uh, the back half of the calendar with some release dates and a couple of delays, a couple of sales updates, and a few uh a few more major updates that we'll go into uh, near the top here. Uh, going into feature releases on the site, write-ups that we have on RPGsite.net, um, some of these we've kind of already teed up. For instance, Adam has a written um, review for Trinity Trigger. If you want to hear <laughs> his thoughts in writing about what you just heard on the podcast, you can go and read his Trinity Trigger review. Adam also, this last week, wrote up a review for the PC port of Live Alive, um, we didn't earmark time to talk about Live Alive specifically for the PC port, because I think the rest of us had kind of talked about it back when it released last year. Um, Adam, I do know you had basically one major thesis for having to write up a, a review on the PC port of this game. Uh, I didn't really have a thesis. I I, I kind of said it in the review. I'm just like, Square Enix, just release your games at all platforms at the same time. Just do it. No, no more staggering. <laughs> No, that that basically was your thesis. Though, you know, being being genuine, I think Nintendo had some sort of uh, role in the creation of the game, why it was remastered, remaked in the first place. So I get it, but I also get that it's frustrating when you when you go to review the game and you're like, "Yep, this this game runs fine on PC. It's the game, the same game that released on Switch last year." Uh, just just, uh, just generally just, speaking, though, I really like the game. You know, I've always been a fan of this more like like chapter-based individual vignette tile storytelling i've i've mentioned that several times on this podcast and this is obviously similar to that um all comes together at the end uh in a fun little kind of combination the um you know the game's not very long i think i beat it also did all the extra like achievement things in like 27 hours which is long for like you know an average game but not long for an rpg so you know relatively short for the genre Really enjoyable. Uh, I think the I think the HD 2D style has come a long way. I haven't played Octopath Traveler 2 yet, but you know this game looks pretty nice in that style. Uh, now, I also said in my review, I kind of I like it when these sorts of things happen. When a long lost unlocalized game gets like a second chance with a localization worldwide, um, and Square Enix is a handful of other games, uh, or Square or Enix has a handful of other games 
that I know they're probably not as popular as Live Alive, so they're probably harder sells. But I know Chow is saying like they should bring, uh, what is it, Treasure of the Rudras? Yeah. Or I said, I said, yeah, I said Bahamut Lagoon. Like similar era games, probably not as popular, but like. I what was the it. driver RPG, driving RPG they had? I forgot the name of that game off the top of my head. It was like a, a car racing game, but it was an RPG is it, is as well. Race, isn't that just like Racing Lagoon? Is it Racing Lagoon? But uh, that, that's that's one of the ones I wish they that, that got official it, localization. If you had played Live yeah, Alive last year, Adam, would you have pushed for it uh, in the? Yeah, and it, did it make our top ten or top five? Top ten, I believe. Yeah, okay, but yeah, definitely for sure. And, and it's always it's always kind of nice when and I've stated this probably about Live Alive last year when you have this game that was kind of like, trust me, it's good. You just got to play a fan patch, um, and it, it comes out officially, and it, it genuinely is good. If people weren't full of hot air, like, nope, they people knew what they were talking about. This game is really pretty damn great. Uh, and then we also have a few more features up on the site from Wait, before James. before we before we move on. I, I just have to say. And we, we know that we, we, we went on about, you know, it's nice when Square Enix like does this, like, you know, they come back and localize long lost classics. I just want to say, like, not, knowing oh, right. what we know now, yeah. because, you know, the, the Portopia, you know, oh, remake yeah. came out last weekend, and that has just been a colossal failure in terms of, like, their whole natural language processing experiment for that game has fucking fallen in shambles uh, in a very very terrible way where like it's it's it, like the text inputs are much even much stricter than the original fucking release 40 years ago or whatever it has just been out of like we'll just move on from that we like and just say like i really wanted to try this out and like really wanted to like what they were going for it had just it just been everything i've heard every i have it i still have it installed and maybe i'll just uninstall it and just save myself the hassle it's just been bad all around and so as far as as far as ai ai goes i think this was the you know this use of ai is not creating anything it's not creating art it's not creating you know like a story or text or whatever i guess in a way it's creating text but really the most thing it was like supposed to be understanding inputs yeah through natural language processing which seemed like you know for a game that used a text parser in the past that this would be like a natural fit to try modern tech on it but yeah just the implementation the execution just clearly was not there like by a long shot if i, if I remember correctly at least at some point this game was like literally in the top like one percent or less of like worst reviewed games on steam like ever i feel bad like, because last percentage. week we were like we we had we recorded our podcast last week like the day before it released and we're like yeah it's got it's got fun promise it's the principle seems interesting and I then like within the with, okay yeah the with, concept with, like seems neat it's just like the execution is just like um a fucking blazing trail of hot mess i like I, I like some of the comments that adam was sharing in our staff chat or this is from certain other people, just uh, friends of the site that I play the game, where it's like very unimpressed. I'm actually somewhat flummoxed. What a bad job this is! <laughs> or like, wow, this is this is dreadful. So uh, apparently, still um, some work to be done on implementing. If this. they ever touch it again, <laughs> <I guess. Yeah. laughs> uh, unfortunate. A... But yeah, no, good, good shout, Josh, to uh, to catch up on that here. While we're talking about Square Enix, especially since we had mentioned it last week and didn't want to leave yeah. uh, leave it hanging. Uh, so a few other features that are up on the site. Uh, there's a few here that are authored by James. He did write up a formal review on Jedi Survivor. Of course, we kind of already touched on that, and hopefully we'll get a better chance to revisit that once some of the issues are addressed. 
And James also has put up some more features on Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Uh, basically, we've already talked about how they're going into the title updates five for the um, PC and Switch version of the game and the recently released other consoles. We'll get to there uh, over the next couple months. And we also have a feature up on the site from Paul talking about the Saga series, where, of course, we are only a few months removed from the remaster of Minstrel Song, which, of course, Adam thought very highly of. And I know other people here have wanted to make time for myself included. Uh, But hopefully, like looking at like we know they're working on a new game. We know they're continuing to kind of work on remasters for that game. And Paul is basically saying, like, obviously, Saga Frontier was re-released a few years ago. Just musing about, you know, what he'd like to see next, Saga Frontier 2. And when are we going to see it? And what do we hope to see from it? So Adam, have you played Frontier 2 or no? I have not. Right, so. Has anyone here played it? Or what? Saga Frontier 2? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure Chow has. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's a really, really good game. Well, what games do they have left to re-release? It's Frontier 2 and Unlimited Saga. Is that kind of Is that kind of where we're at? Uh, for the saga series, yeah, I mean, you, not counting like like the Imperial Saga like mm-hmm. browser game or anything. Like, I mean, we title. last we knew, Kwazu and um, oh, what's his name, the 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 other saga producer Ichikawa, uh, they basically said this is before Minstrel Song released. They were like, we can do Romancing Saga one remaster, right? With mm-hmm. Minstrel Song, we can do a we can do a Saga Friend two remaster. And we can do a unlimited saga remaster, and we are making a new game. So mm-hmm. like, and they they've been relatively like coming out with a new remaster every year to year and a half or so because they've already released Romancing Saga two, three, Saga Frontier, the original Game Boy trilogy even got a re re release, and now Minstrel Song. So I think maybe in two thousand twenty four, maybe not this year since Minstrel Song released only a few months ago. Um, but maybe in 2024, they'll either, they'll, you know, Saga Frontier 2, I think, is definitely a very real possibility, like a 30% chance, yeah. at least. So it's either that, Unlimited or Saga, we... or a new game, really, you know, there's like, those are the three options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or they'll, 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 they'll do the, uh, they'll do the, the misdirection option and do a remaster of Romancing Saga 1 Super Famicom. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that'd be crazy. I'd play it. They look. They'll, they'll just surprise you. Like just tow, randomly do an HD two D version of Unlimited Saga or something. It's like, wait, what? Just what we all been asking for. <laughs> all right. With that, we'll go into the rest of the news. Like I said, most of these are release dates or sales updates, but we did get some very interesting new footage for the upcoming East Ten Nordics. Nordics. I always say it, Nordiques. Nordiques. Like, like, like I'm Canadian. I did that last time too. Damn it. I'm just going to do that. that. You, you, you also say THQ Nordic when it's THQ Nordic. Uh, why do I keep saying Nordic? I don't know. Honorary Canadian here. Chow would be proud. Uh, but um, anyways, we've obviously talked about this game in a few times since it's been uh, announced for Japanese release later this year. Uh, we learned uh, a few months ago about the, the, dual, the dual character system. We learned just two weeks ago, or was it even last week, about the the mana actions, about how those kind of take place of the um, the field actions of the previous games. Uh, Falcom had a live stream presentation of the game last week. It was it was something, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong here, it was something like an hour, hour and a half long presentation where... Well, most of it was for the memories of, or the memoir uh, 
the Celsetto remaster, or not Celsetto, um, yeah, Falgana. Oh, and Falgana. Mm. So it was mostly for that because that game just released. You know, it's like promoting, like, we just released this in Japan. But they're like, hey, while we're here, uh, let's show East 10. And they did. And, and it, I think we even I think we even mentioned on a previous podcast, Falcom is really weird in how they like or when they show footage of their games. This game has not gotten a trailer yet, has it? Not not like an official no. one, really. No, yeah. like this is their first gameplay for it. And yeah. like we say, they usually the, the first gameplay for their game shows up sometimes in like a commercial or something like this, or just kind of like, let's just stream a part of it. Like it hasn't had a trailer. Like it's just been announced with screenshots and art. So this is our very first look at what it looks like in motion. Um, and yeah. Spoilers, uh, it looks like an East game. I mean, I'm not saying that disparagingly, well, it just, it does. <laughs> yes. So you, have, but you have the two characters and that's it. You have two characters, you can switch between them at any time. Uh, you can do combos between the two. There's like, the, we've mentioned in the past, there's two different modes where you like control one character and then your other character is kind of controlled kind of like automatically through AI. Um, or you have like a mode where you kind of control both simultaneously. You kind of switch between them, um, you know, at will. So there's like these two different play modes that you can do, and you can switch between characters or switch between modes. And it all seems pretty fluid. Um, it looks, you know, it looks pretty cool. I know uh, Josh has pointed out one of the one of the abilities is that Karja, who is the female protagonist of the game, can like fling Adol across the battlefield. Yeah, and, really and not nice only that, but he animation. he leaves like a he leaves like a flaming crater where he lands. <laughs> uh, uh, and one nice thing I will make sure to call out here is that initially these were like little snippets of footage interspersed throughout the the stream event, but Adam went ahead and kind of compiled them all together into like a single like montage that he put up on our YouTube channel, and it's also attached to our news post covering the fact that we this is our first footage of East Ten. Um, so very thank you, Adam, to putting that all together. Once it's all put together, it's about eight minutes of footage uh, of the game. They also did the Valkyrie Elysium thing where you can just like grapple onto enemies and like go <laughs> fling yourself towards them, which is uh cool. I like that. Also, I like that system. There's also naval battles, <laughs> which finally they, a Black Flag sequel. Yeah, that's, I, I did see a couple of people mention Assassin's Creed. Uh, you know, it's it's different. Like it looks like a naval battle game. You know, I don't know how it's hard. It's hard to know like how significant of a portion. Of, or a significant portion of the game this is or not but you know it's, it's I, I definitely trust i definitely I'm, trust adol to, to commandeer ships yeah yep. for sure <laughs> yeah, my, my my memory is shot but i'm like i don't know if this is a valid comparison at all but i think of like pirates world in kingdom hearts 3 like I, the ship stuff there i yeah, love yeah i yeah. love how there was outright a tweet from uh, falcom saying don't get on the same ship as at all nice I mean, there's no one else on that ship but in, in that footage. It's only Adol himself somehow just taking control of the entire ship by himself. Yeah, I'm sure those ships really only require one person to run. Adol's just really talented. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it looks great in motion. I, mean, that, that's, uh, I, I was waiting to see this, and it looks really, really nice, like just, you know, fluid in motion, just like uh, switching in between modes. That like all the, all the goofy like uh, modes of getting on the surfboard to run over enemies and like grinding. Uh, mm -hmm. At certain points, it's just like it's it's the, it's a nice shakeup for the series that uh, you know I kind of been waiting for. I'm really interested to like you know get my hands on it whenever whenever that happens, you know. But it it looks it, it looks great. It looks promising. So again, thank you, Adam, for uh, smushing all but of the I different gameplay snips together. I'll also talks. I think. Hmm? Let me check. You can at least select the like, dialogue options, but. So, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's right. So I don't know. Neat. We also have an announcement here. Uh, this is something that I kind of wish Chad was here to talk about, but maybe uh, Josh has an opinion on this. Psy Games, the publisher and studio behind uh, Grand Blue Fantasy, and of course Relink and Versus. Uma and yeah, <laughs> and Uma Musume has formally established, announced the establishment of Psy Games America and Psy Games Europe. So formal overseas branches to publish and market their titles yeah i mean you know obviously this is kind of it, it kind of um solved kind of answers the 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 issue of like oh who's who's publishing uh who's publishing grand blue <laughs> fantasy relink in the west it's like oh okay side games will just do it themselves it's not it's not it's not like how the grand blue fantasy versus they relied on exceed and marvelous to do that and there's a whole kerfuffle behind that way back when but now, hey, they're establishing, you know, these branches in America and Europe. Um, so that'll be, you know, I assume all in-house. We don't know We don't know what else they're going to do besides, I assume, you know, that project. Um, but, you know, not that, that, that they haven't, now Stygates has like an official foothold and branch, you know, uh, in, in these uh, Western territories. So hopefully, you know, like, you know, if they ever decide to do like Uma Musume in the West, I assume it'll be under this. You know, there's a lot of people coping. They're like, "Oh, maybe they'll they'll restart Princess Connect Redive with this." It's just like I it's actually, not. I saw I saw a handful of people, actually a good chunk of people, want, hoping for a Dragalia Lost too. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that'd be. I mean, if they if they if they were, I'd have to assume if they were like any like future endeavors to like officially release, uh, side games, mobile games in the West, like it would be under these branches now instead of like relying on third-party publishers whether it be nintendo with dragalia or um crunchyroll games with princess connect now i i i highly go for it grand blue fantasy the mobile game is officially localized in english but not officially like available in the west right it's kind mm -hmm. of a weird yeah, like like in the like it shares the same client as the Japanese version, where like it's just like the English like is like a selectable option in there. Right. It, was, it was primarily in the beginning for Southeast Asia, but you can uh, you know you can access it globally. There's not there's not like you don't have to go through any VPN or anything to go through it. And maybe, it maybe, like, maybe it's more accurate to say it's not localized in English; it's just available in English, but not localized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not like distributed in the West officially, but because you you can just like access it uh, through like an internet browser. Um, but like it, it's also one of those weird things where like especially at this point in time specifically where like a lot of people relied on Twitter linking their their accounts uh through Grand Blue Fantasy to like access their remaining their, their current account, but now they're taking that out due to all the API changes to Twitter. So now they have to go through another like I think like the like a MobaGay account or something like that. Rest um, in peace uh live tweets for uh PlayStation Vita. Yeah, and, and also like, like there's also like some like um, fundamental things about Grand Blue Fantasy that like they have to change up now because of the Twitter API changes. Like, like, like people can no longer like uh, recharge their stamina through tweeting. Uh, like that was like a, a feature in the game where like you know like uh, like mobile games usually have like a stamina system where you want to access a stage or Is like that do why I see people saying I need backup picture of that, so, um, that that's a separate um thing that had like. Uh, it, traditionally, the, the Grand Finder, Blue. 
so you tweet out with your code to join someone's fight for so that, like, like, bosses. Yeah, so that's the funny thing like value fantasy. There's like certain raids that you can do, and like you can like if there's like if it's tough or like you want all your friends or like other mutuals to like join in with you to like fight that boss, you can tweet out like a code through Twitter to like you know here's like the the specific ID of the fight that I'm in. Please join in, and then you can you just input that uh, ID through you know. Uh, into your game and then people will be able to access you that way so it's funny because people have been wanting of like an in-game raid finder for years literal years um uh, and saigon just never put in but as soon as that raid finder feature went down for for twitter as soon as that went down they has all of a sudden had like a beta feature now for the in-game raid finder feature now in the game after at long last you know so wow that's crazy <laughs> really weird that like how that happened so you know get, getting you know the, the kind of veering off topic there but yeah that that's but, but i highly doubt they would like officially release rambu fantasy from the start through under side games american side games it's way 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 too far out because like starting that game from the very beginning in the west is just like gonna be brutal i highly doubt that they would restart princess connect under these western branches like because it, it'd be already too far out from how how it already is, and like, and there's already way way too much like burnt like will. Uh, obviously, it's like it's not like a as simple as like, oh, we'll restart the game from the very beginning. It's like that's not a great option, and it's also not a great option if they were like to take legacy accounts from Crunchyroll Games under Side Games American Side Games Europe, like for the English version, because like like people like me is like have already like we we haven't as soon as that end of service notice. Um, but up for that for English version of that game, I was like, I'm just cutting all ties, you know. I'm like, there's no point in me logging in, there's no point in me doing this and that because you know, none, none of my like, there's nothing left. And if they were to like at the last second, the last minute say, Oh, we're gonna keep this game running, it's like I've already like kind of emotionally like detached myself from that game, and mm-hmm. I already lost like too much progress in that time frame. That I just don't feel like going back. Like, if you, if you told me, Hey, and there's like there's not an uncommon thing, you know. There there are certain like mobile games that like have switched um you know providers in the lifetime of their game. Uh like you know, very very say, saying like, hey, we're winding down operations for this game under this service provider and switching to a new one. Like that those things happen like in mobile games. Like a very easy example is like the Danmachi mobile game went from Crunchyroll games back into the actual developers games. Like they actually like, you know, had a graceful transition where like you know, Crunchyroll Games is no longer handling that game. It's going back to the original the developers. I think, so, I think some older your... MMOs are like that as well. Like, yeah. Rings Online. I know it's changed hands. Yeah, and, and all your accounts are still intact. So, like, if they, you know, there are graceful transitions like that. But they make it up clear and up front. If they were to do, a, like, a last-minute thing, like, oh, we're doing that for, like, Crunchyroll Games to Side Games America, for example, it's like, for if, if you didn't, like, announce that from the get-go when did that end-of-service notice from Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll Games, then like there's no I I'm I'm not I wouldn't be in the mood to like come back to it because you weren't then you weren't being upfront and honest with like with your player base then too on that on that front it's already just been too much time um so I highly doubt that's the case too so I, I think they're just gonna start fresh um with like new game localizations if they were gonna if they're gonna go down this route so like potentially Uma Musume you know if they were gonna go that route. Um, obviously, Grand Blue Relink feels like this is kind of like the first major project I'd have to imagine for um, Side Games American Side Games Europe in terms of like publishing and distribution in the West. Um, you know that that makes sense in my head. I, I think the the interesting thing about this um, 
um, whole process is like the CEOs of these uh, branches. Like for Side Games Amer- America, you have Motohiro Okubo, who was uh, actually uh, a, a, was previously fr- uh, in, at Bandai Namco, and he was like the main producer for like Soul Calibur Six, and was a producer for Tekken Seven. So you know, we we uh, uh, you know several months ago we heard him you know depart Bandai Namco Entertainment. We didn't know exactly where he was going, so it's like, oh, okay, he's the CEO of Side Sci- Games Amer- America, so that's you know his next endeavor. And then uh, for the managing managing director for Side Games Europe, we have uh, Hiroaki Ochiai, um, you know, and he was uh, a produ- uh, did promotion for Little Noah. He also you know worked uh, with uh, uh, as a promotion on uh, Scarlet Nexus. Bandai Namco's uh, Asia Business Division, uh, so you know they they have uh, you know a bit of legacy, Bandai Namco legacy uh, and talent uh, to head up these new studio branches. Yeah, so it sounds like it's a good mix of you know having the side games history, but also having experience working with other orgs that have um, the the, uh, the local branches to release games across different you know regions and things like that. I saw some people like responding to the news like this is unnecessary. Side games doesn't need that, but it's like people don't well, understand what yeah. Western branches do. Yeah, Adam, what what, what 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 would a what would a branch like this potentially do? Okay, so first of all, any sort of support for the games, like customer support services, accounts, they would probably handle all of that. Uh, if games like WeLink are getting retail releases, they have to handle like distribution and like getting it to retail stores and online sh- warehouses and everything and everything related to that. Uh, PR in terms of dealing with media review codes, like promotional like trailers, promotional periods, ads on websites, possibly even on TV. I can see a Grand Blue Relink ad on TV. Um, feedback, anything involving uh, like market data or market reception you know, data analysis in terms of those sorts of things. Uh, and localization, obviously, freelancers or not, voiceover, voiceover production for English and any other language they want to do. So sounds a lot. Sounds, sounds like a lot. Sounds yeah, like a platform, <laughs> the platform holders, like in terms of ratings, ratings boards. Mm-hmm. So. All right. That sounds, that sounds like it could probably be useful to have to, uh, that like centralized under an org specified for it. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, I I'm with Josh that I think that Relink will be the um the first time we see it in like a game's credits. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be Uma Musume. Wrapping up some of the news here, we're going to start out with some sales updates. Some of these are kind of uh, expected. Actually, all of these I think, and I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't read any of these headlines, and I'm not surprised by any of them. This I first one was a little bit surprised by the Mega Man one in terms of the speed. Oh, I actually didn't read. I actually didn't write out write down the Mega Man one here. What is the Mega Man one? Okay, well, this one does have a caveat. So okay. the Mega Man collection released two weeks ago. Right. This, like all the different Battle Network games. And it surpassed one million. Uh, yeah, that is yeah. pretty fast. That seems good. Now, the thing is, is that I believe it is combining sales. So if someone bought digital copies of Volume One and Volume Two, that counts as two. Well, we've seen so, that. Like, yeah, so it's, like it's, it's a it's a it's a small caveat, but a caveat nonetheless. Um, this next one is one that I think is actually really promising, and that is Atelier Rise of Three has sold three hundred thousand copies worldwide, digital and physical sales. And to me, that's like, so that game released about a month ago, exactly. 
third game in a series, still hitting 300,000 pretty quickly. To me, I don't, obviously, I don't know what their expectations were. But from my Greenhorn perspective, that seems like pretty remarkable and quite good. Yeah. And we, we recently learned that the, uh, the first two games hit 1.6 million. So as a trilogy, they're basically on the doorstep of 2 million. Mm-hmm. Any day now, we'll probably get that PR. <laughs> For Rise of 1, 1 million or what? Oh, no, uh, all three. Is, we don't know the full breakdown. I think, but basically right before Rise of 3 release, they said the combined sales of 1 and 2 were 1.6 million. Yeah, and I did say oh, at I the time it. that I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Rise of 1 is like over 900, like 900,000. Like it, it'll reach 1 million eventually. So Rise of 1 is near a million and the series is near 2 million. Yeah. So we'll get one or both of those imminently, which is good. Like the series obviously has... It wasn't well, it's all under the same character, which is driving a lot of that in terms of it just really well received that specific trilogy. But it seems like an inflection point for the series. Now, you know, more people are aware of the Atelier series and hopefully we'll see that sort of momentum uh, lash out to whatever latch out to whatever follows from Rise of Three. I guess that'd be the Rem- the Marie remake, huh? Here's another. I, I, they have. They can't have high expectations for that. They they know that people see like, oh, it's a remake of the first game in the chibi style. It's going to be a much more much more narrow audience. I think uh, that's a fair point. Uh, here's one that is also kind of interesting uh, because of its Game Pass numbers that we can kind of glean from this. Uh, well, Long Fallen Dynasty, of course, released a couple months ago. It has surpassed a million units sold and 3.8 million players. So with that, you can kind of glean based on the fact that it was on Game Pass, roughly what percentage of people who have played that game played it through the subscription service rather than through purchasing the game. That's, uh, you know. that's, that's higher than I would have expected. Yeah. So like almost three million Game Pass players. Yeah. One. one yeah. So like one out of every four people on that game purchased to play it and three out of every four played on a subscription am i am i parsing that correctly yeah and I, I i was wondering like does this include demos but the wording of the press release just says xbox console and pc game pass so damn <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy yeah that's a, that's a lot <laughs> so yeah one out of every four people who played well long played it not in a subscription service i really wonder like what the metrics are like behind the scenes of like i'm played like the average time played. Yeah, that's the thing. Like 3.8 million players. Well, how many of those people yeah, played just, it one session and then never it. never booted it again? So, but of course they're never they're not going to reveal any of that information unless it's you know flattering. <laughs> yeah, but still the numbers, regardless, even if you factor in that some of those 3.8 million uh, are booted it up once or simply just downloaded it, still a higher number than I would have expected. But now it doesn't just from my vantage point, it doesn't seem like it's gonna be as successful as Neo, both in terms of critical and in commercial reception. Like this game the seems like there's just a bit more mixed response to it overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this game's already like coming and going in that process. Oh, it it seems like Neo. it seems like it's not gonna be as you know, which is, you know, they tried something new and it's, you know, an era type of, you know, we don't usually get that many types of games like yeah. this in that era. So it was kind of nice to visit it. So. 
And, you know, I don't think like I didn't like it as much as Neo 2, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Like there are there are levels to this thing. It's not it's it's Neo 2 right. or it's bad. So I, I enjoyed my time with it. And I encourage anyone who's enjoyed any Souls like game with an action slant to play it. Though I will caveat, I have not played Sekiro. So maybe if you played Sekiro, your thoughts on this game are not as good. Uh, but I enjoyed it a fair bit and it's not it's not too long. So I think it's a game you would really like, Adam. I downloaded it. I haven't played it full yet. You're one of those 3.8. Oh, no, you didn't put it up yet. No, I, no, no, no. I, 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 I bought it from Steam, so I'm in the oh, okay, you're, so you're, you're, you're in the yeah. You're, yeah, you're a true fan. I'm one of a million. <laughs> true fan one here. And then uh, here, here's one that is kind of not a surprise to anyone. Uh, Near Automata. Automata. Still continues to sell very well and be a high watermark for that series and a big success for you for Square Enix and for uh, Yoko Taro and Platinum Games. Um, Near Automata has sold almost an understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't want. I don't want to understand that. They've been chasing this sort of success with other projects and not had had not come close. Anyways, the the lead (laughs) is is that it sold seven point five million. Seven point five million. I want to make sure I just get that number out. It's reached another milestone. I think Near is a series itself is definitely much, much fucking bigger now. Because, like, even, like, Replicant sold over a million copies and was, like, well-received. So I think it's very clear that whatever the next near entry is is just straight up going to be AAA, which is wild. Yeah. Whenever it happens, they still have Yokotaro doing some... I, I mean, there's a Yokotaro release this week that, you know... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I still remember. I still remember the E3 that Square Enix announced that during one of their like uh, streams. I was in the press room in the uh, LA Convention Center, and I popped off when it got when it got revealed. And I was the only person in that press room that popped off, and I got looks. <laughs> I it's actually okay. remember. I actually remember we had heard that Nier was getting a sequel, um, beforehand, in our staff chat. And I've said this before. We're like, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, and, and we're also like, uh, well, who's making it? Because Cavia is dead. Mm-hmm. We actually didn't know it was Platinum Games until it was announced. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, yeah, that's really weird. But that's really I exciting. I talking about it on the podcast. Uh, at that point, I actually had not played Nier yet when it, when it released. And I did. I played Nier like, shortly after Automata was announced. I was like, I really liked Nier. But I was like, I don't know if, like, if people will... I don't. I was like, I have no idea how this is gonna go with people because I, I, I just assume it's like no one's gonna care. It's fucking near. Like I, I like near, but I, I like things that no one cares about. And then here we are. What the fuck? That's really weird. Oh yeah, for people who don't know, the Yokotaro game that released this because uh, a mobile game for Sega, 404 game reset. That's uh, only in Japan. Where consoles become anime girls. The no, the co- game IP, Sega game IPs become oh, IPs anime girls. Okay. Virtual Fighter and Column. Okay. The Virtual Cop. Yeah. With that, we'll go into some release dates. There's a handful of these uh, that are some release dates, some release windows, uh, and I think at least one delay in here as we go and wrap out through the end of the podcast and line up where things are landing for the end of the year. Uh, action RPG from India Studio Orion Games. Their title, Arto, will be launching on May 1st for PC. This game has a kind of a almost strange and almost depressing release cadence. <laughs> it was going to release in last December, and then their publisher dropped them. And then they ran a Kickstarter campaign, and then it failed. 
Yeah. <laughs> they, they're picked up by Freedom Games, and Freedom Games is a pretty significant indie publisher. They do a lot. So basically, however they convinced Freedom Games to pick up publishing duties, that saved them. Like, okay, now we can actually release this. Yep, so, so I have no idea if it's going to be good, but they'll get, they're finally getting well, it out. Well, it sounds like there's a bit of a success for story just getting to the finish line then. Right, yeah. They are releasing their game next uh, next week, May 1st, so within a couple of days of us recording this podcast. So congrats yeah, so to them, is, and hopefully the is, feedback's good. This is Arto. It's like a action RPG where you, like, fight with color. Kind of weird. That's interesting premise. Recently released on PC as of a couple of days ago is Cassette Beasts, and it'll also be releasing on consoles, Nintendo Switch, Xbox Series, Xbox One. Uh, on May twenty fifth, this game has gotten really good reception on on um, PC. Yeah, like some people are saying, it's like a strong, like one of the probably the strongest indie game this year, at least, and you know, possibly a game of the year contender. Oh, wow. oh I mean, that's wow. that's that's really strong. That, that's yeah. really strong for a year that had uh, like Pizza Tower, which I know a bunch of people love. That I mean, Look just the trailer. Oh yeah, like even just from the trailer, I can see why this. Uh... It's it's like it's 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 a Pokemon like with like a '90s aesthetic and music. I think um, I don't know what, I don't know much about its gimmicks. Otherwise, it has an 84 meta score, which is pretty good. 84 on PC. S Steam is 95 percent positive, which I think is one percent away from being overwhelmingly positive. So yeah, mm -hmm. okay, well it's on my radar now. I don't know if we'll be able to make time for it, but definitely on my radar. So yeah, Cassette oh. Beasts, available on PC and coming out next month on uh, Switch and Xbox. Coming in June, we have an announcement of Fantasy Star Online 2, New Genesis version 2. So as the resident New Genesis player here, I'm like, all right, let me look at this. And because I didn't realize they were coming out with a version 2. What does this even mm -hmm. mean? And I looked at this trailer and I'm like, I'm I am confused as to why they're calling this version two or even giving it like a title at all. This is so, a good design. Yeah. So um New Genesis is not very good, but I continue to play it because I have issues. But this trailer for version two, it basically details I'm I'm gonna try to be charitable here. It details two things. It details a big expansion to what they're calling creative space, which is like a combination of like player housing plus um if you've ever played like fallout 4 fallout 76 like the the, the base building aspect of that where you can kind of like build a space you got a set of tools you can create puzzle rooms things like that you can also like uh, have the, your housing where you can like show off your achievements and things like that and that seems like genuinely interesting like okay that's that seems neat like a lot of more social online games have that sort of aspect to it and then they also detailed new graphic options where you can make the game look more cel-shaded which I don't know. I don't know if the the um, the result there looks very good because some of the some of the demos that they show, I don't think looks that great. And as far as I could tell, unless they've got something snuck away in like a press release that I didn't see or whatever. But that was kind of it. It was like this expansion to this creative space, these new graphics updates. But that's kind of it. So like, wh why is this worthy of being called version two? Is I'm just I'm I'm, I'm, I'm as someone who plays the game fairly regularly i'm i'm sitting here kind of confused like what like what am i looking forward to i guess creative space could be interesting but i'm not that excited about it i don't think the cell shading looks that good so huh but coming out on june 7th maybe they'll package something with it that'll be surprising 
I'll I'll keep you guys up to date. I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast on the record, but we actually we actually regularly get invites from the PR people to like like get early access to this stuff, but we never respond. No, Mostly because we just don't have time. <laughs> busy, too busy with other things. We have a delay for a game that is releasing this year in Japan and is slated for this fall in the West, and that is for Cry Machina. This is a follow-up to uh, Crystar that was announced earlier this year. It to be clear, was... we actually don't know how. Yeah, it might... We're just sort of all assuming that it is, and I'm not trying to correct you. It's just kind of like the art style is similar, the title is similar, the gameplay is maybe similar, and it's just kind of like all the I love you. Okay. Well, it's just it's, it's weird. It's it's it seems like it's a it should be maybe, a follow up, but maybe not. Well, <laughs> the only way to find out is for someone to sit down, play Cry Star, and then play Cry Machina, and then report back. The play Cry anyway. Star, then like go through all the pre-release footage of Cry Machina, see what you see if there's any sort of teases or calls or similar <laughs> vibes. <laughs> so yeah, this game was originally announced only two months ago, uh, and it's. Slated to come in fall for the West. It was originally supposed to release in Japan on July 6th. It's been delayed to the end of the month, July 27th. So a short delay for the Japan uh, Japan I release. Like, I feel like these sorts of delays for Japanese releases are not that uncommon, or they just like have to delay it two weeks. Mm-hmm. I see. I feel like we see that fairly fairly frequently with like Furu or Video Factory or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> We have a game exiting from early access later in the year in quarter three of 2023. Achilles Legends Untold, which released on Steam early access last summer, will be releasing for version 1.0 on PC and then also releasing for PlayStation and Xbox consoles. Uh, we also have releasing for PC later this year in the fall, Mary Skelter Finale. This released uh, for consoles, Switch and PlayStation 4 in late 2021. This one is interesting because the previous ports for Mary Skelter were handled by Ghostlight, who they often do ports for Compile Heart and Idea Factory. But this one is actually just straight up Idea Factory doing the port, not Ghostlight. Like, functionally, yeah. you may not even notice or care, but it's just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. It's a different, you know, different publisher, different development or port house. Uh, yeah, I have a few friends who are, were looking forward to finally getting this released on PC. This was this was the series that had a weird thing where like they released the first game, then the second game came out, but then there's like a remake of the first game in the second game as well. That's like apparently, apparently, yeah. Uh, you want it's it's something like you want to play the second game before the first game or something. There's there's some weird like argument about how which order you should play know. the game. Go 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 either Google it or ask your local Mary Skelter finale friend expert to explain it to you. Um I, I'm not that person. Also this fall we got a localization announcement for an experience RPG that released a couple of years ago. This is Monu. We actually already announced it. We already knew it was getting localized. We just didn't know the window. Right. Yep. Uh, And the window is just, it's still very nebulous. Fall 2023 for Monu. So it went from TBD to by the end of the year, basically. Yeah. So so Monu released uh, in Japan in July 2021. 
and it will be releasing on PlayStation 5, Switch, and PC this year in the West by the end of the year. Um, Adam, I know you've played a few of the other experience games, and I don't know like if you're interested in the premise of this one or not really because of its light novel full title. This one has like a different sort of structure, I believe, in terms of like most dungeon crawlers, you're crawling dungeons. Right? Oh, that's pretty evident. That, that checks out. <laughs> but this one is, there's, 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 there's some sort of like there's some sort of like level by level structure where there's like a challenge mode sort of deal. Um, where you have to like do it within like a certain amount of turns or something. It's I need to look up what it was again. It's been a while since the Japanese release. Um, but it seems like the structure is somehow a little different. So but, but it, sounds, it sounds like it sounds like you have some passing interest then, depending on how you yeah, feel yeah, about it. Yeah, I'll probably play it. Okay. And I feel like I'm obligated to state this just because it feels like it's kind of part of their marketing. So maybe I'm playing right into their hands. Mm-hmm. But the full title of this game is Mon Yu, Defeat Monsters and Gain Strong Weapons and Armor. You may be defeated, but don't give up. Become stronger. I believe there will be a day when the hero defeats the Devil King. So there you go. Is this oh. the longest title an English game has had officially? Officially, yes. I, I was going to say there was that one photography game. Yeah, but that was Japanese, yeah, and, yeah. and translated, but that, that never came over. That's why I said oh. official English. <laughs> I, I, looked, I, I looked it up. The, what, what makes this game a little different from most dungeon crawlers is there's like a score system where you get, on after each floor, you get scored based on how low your level is, how many times you died or not, and based on your score, you'll get different items. So it's that'll be interesting to see. Like, you have to not only just win, but you have to win convincingly to get to do better, I guess. <laughs> so now that means punishing you for, I don't know, for, for, for winning out from the skin of your teeth. I don't know. And it seems interesting on its face, but we'll see how it's executed. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we've turned, we we've seen that sometimes the execution matters, even if the idea yep. is sound. Yep. Uh, here's something that's uh, just kind of a, a port that I think we expected because it's already been announced for the first game in the series. But the Caligula Effect Two will be releasing on PlayStation Five by the end of the year in 2023. We already knew that Caligula Effect Overdose was set to release for PlayStation Five uh, in May. So both, so those two games will be available on the PS5 before the end of the year. And then the last headline I have here is that Shiravune has announced that they will be releasing three Dungeons Travelers titles officially in English on PC later this year, with the, the note being that these will not be releasing on Steam. They'll be releasing through a service that I hadn't heard of previously called Joren. It's, Dude. I will say two <laughs> things. Where you get arrogance. Uh, yes, but it wasn't by choice on their end. They well, did yeah. submit Dungeon Travelers two to Steam, and I'll be I'll be blunt here. That game got an M rating, released physically on Vita. I can point at my copy on my shelf right now. I, I can hear you no, pointing. There is <laughs> no I'm actually going to point out an audio podcast. <laughs> there is no good reason why Valve would not allow this game on Steam when the ESRB was like, yeah, this is fine. Sony was like, this is fine. It has a physical console release in North America and I believe Europe too. So it's like the fact that the reason that they're being forced to release it here is because Valve said, oh, we don't want this is 
God. Like yeah, I actually like reached out to them before this announcement because we knew that some company had submitted Dungeon Travelers 2 to Steam and it had been banned. And I like reached out to them at the time off the record and they said, yeah, this is us. We don't know when or if it'll be released on PC. Obviously, they are releasing it now, but it's like, yeah, they they tried. They tried. So, yeah, I mean, like, people, at least people who have been waiting for the official English release for these games for the longest time now, really, on PC, will finally get their mission one way or another. Um, I mean, you know, J- Joran is, like, the place to get, like, your hentai games. They, 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 that is the that is a, a marketplace specifically for that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything, like, in Dungeon Travelers and 2 and 2-2, like, I know there are some, like, definitely, definitely lewd artwork in there, but I don't know if there's actually like full on, you know, naughty scenes in it. I've never played these games. So Yeah, again, I I mean I'm not gonna sit here and say that game is not like kind of straddling that line because it is. But then you know, but I hear there are decent dungeon crawlers for people who want them as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But can confirm I, that we could probably confirm that you can you, you do crawl the dungeons in these dungeon crawlers. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so like, so this is a a trio of games that are going to be released individually: uh, Dungeon Travelers, Two Heart, Two in Another World, Dungeon Travelers Two, The Royal Library and the Monster Seal, and Dungeon Travelers Two Two, which is a like what if sequel, The Fallen Maidens and the Book of Beginnings. And only one of these had been officially localized in English prior by Atlas for the Vita in 2015, and then the other two, this will be the first time officially in English. So that's you know for those that enjoyed like the English release of Dungeons Travelers 2 to be able to play the other games in the series officially in English. This has got to be a kind of a surprise that for a very small number of people just in, in that, in that, you know, niche window here, it's like, this is kind of an exciting surprise. The fact that they're able to make this work, even if it means going around steam, because for whatever reason, they're not allowed to release there or, or, or push for that, but haven't been able to get that to work out just yet for whatever reason yeah it seems like at least uh, for at least for dunder shoulders 2 and 2 2 like they'll be both priced at 20 dollars each so it's not like you're paying a full you know retail price for them mm-hmm. and with that we're reaching the three hour mark of our recording here and we have reached the head of our headlines so very cool that we were able to have such a lengthy discussion on xenoblade chronicles 3 the future redeemed dlc Unfortunate that we had to punt a few of the other discussions of some of the other games into uh, further down the road, but hopefully we'll be able to get Chow on board to be able to talk about Honkai Star Rail. Obviously, that game, if it has any legs at all relative to Genshin, will be something that'll be kind of in the uh, in vogue for a good while going forward. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about Jedi Survivor outside of its performance issues at some point down the road as well. And then, of course, as we've stated a few times prior, we're going, we're coming into the summer months where there's a lot of big releases just around the corner. So looking forward to spending a significant amount of time on those as well. And heck, depending on how the Future Redeemed DLC ends, we might find that we absolutely have to talk about that next week in addition to everything else. You can find RPG Site on all the social media platforms. You can search for RPG Site on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on our YouTube page, that's where Adam has put up the new uh, snippets of the East 10 footage. So go ahead and give that a shout, uh, a shout, a look at, because Adam was able to get that all for you. So you don't have to click through timestamps of a one hour long stream. Uh, and then you can also find our Discord by hitting the link at the top of our homepage or going to discord.gg slash RPG Site to join the discussion of our uh, site followers. 
and we will be back next week with another edition of the Tetracast, hopefully with a full crew, but we'll keep in uh, keep you in touch. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe and take care, and we will talk to you all later. <laughs>